have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. emergency strikes, what's your first impulse? If your answer is, run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan, to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot Supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense, and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, and click on the icon 
for my Patriot food. Well, if you want to insist, you can still go to 888-441-7290 or go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Be prepared. All right, and welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sense, live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, and a half a dozen other places. I can't even remember where I'm at anymore. Up on Facebook, YouTube, iTunes, um, iHeart, whatever. <laughs> anyway, just check out the website, Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the least mostest, the radio chick, Annie. And Annie is flying solo today. So if there's someone sitting in the chat room that would like to be a guest co-host with me today, uh, I would be welcome to have them call in and <laughs> help me muck along. Anyway, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, great guest lined up. We're going to start off with Larry Clayman of Freedom Watch, uh, and we'll follow up with Austin Roos. Uh, he's going to be talking about his new book, Under Siege, about Christian values, how they're under attack, as well as Mike Karchowski. Um, he is a transportation expert. He owns a trucking company. And between COVID and the Suez Canal blockage and everything else going on, how it is affecting our economy, how we are under attack. And then my good friend, oh, I love this man. I've known him now going on uh, 11 years, Trevor Loudon. Um, he is so sweet. I love this guy. I can just eat him up. Trevor Loudon, uh, you know him from his website and book, Enemies uh, <laughs> Enemies Within. Okay, and got a brain fart there. And then we're going to follow up with our final guest, Doug Badger of the Heritage Foundation. And I got to say, uh, I just lost my cup of water. Bear with me. Um, uh, we're going to have fun with Doug Badger because this past Monday, uh, our county council was voting on its extension of the emergency ordinance as well as the mask mandate. Oh, boy. Hurricane Annie hit. Mm. I have to admit, Hurricane Annie hit big time. Um, I, I don't have the clip loaded up. Otherwise, I would play it for you. But if you want to see it, uh, go to my YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, type in Southern Sense, and my YouTube channel will pop up to you. And I've got it videotaped up there. I did edit the video uh, because the main reason why I did that was because the county council chair, the arrogant SOB, uh, his name is Passamonte, but I call him Pissant because uh, <laughs> he is, was attempting to intimidate those that were coming up to speak. And, of course, you know, that doesn't wash with Annie. <laughs> you try that with Annie, and it ain't going to happen. Uh, but I got up there, and I did my speak, and they limit you to three minutes. I did mine in less than three minutes. And when I stepped away from the podium, you know, normally the person goes up and speaks. They say their little two things. Unless it's an award or something really super special, no one claps. People go up and they, they do their beef or state their statement about whatever cause their favorite cause is, whether or not it's turning all the traffic lights to pink. I don't care. Um, no one ever claps, but I got off the podium. As I turned to walk away, the room erupted in clapter. And um, they then chastised us. It's 
that since you've already spoken, give up your seat so other people can come into the room because of social distancing, blah, 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 and have their say. So we left, and it was a bunch of us. We all got up to leave. And as I hit the front door to go out to the parking lot to my car, I didn't know there was a protest on the front steps of the county courthouse. And there was about 30 people out there with signs and everything. I didn't know they were listening into the meeting. And they erupted. And they go, there she is. She's our hero. The second my hands hit the door to open it, they're cheering me and clapping me. So if you can, go to the YouTube website. I don't think I can play it because I don't have it uploaded onto the thing. Well, maybe I can do that while we're doing everything else. So by the time Doug Badger gets on, uh, I can probably play that. Let me see if I can probably do that. But then again, I'm an idiot at times when it comes to stuff like this. Um, so it's saying upload an audio, and I'm going to see if I can get uh, the description here and uh, do that while I also um, uh, do the uh, dedication. So uh, just bear with me as I try to frig around with this thing, and um, I don't even know where the heck it's It's not showing up. All right, no, it's an MP4, so it's not going to upload. All right, that answers my question. So we can't do that. All right, that answers my question, so I can't. Uh, so you're going to have to just go to the YouTube channel. It is also up on the Facebook page, too, uh, so check it out. I will get it up on the uh, Southern Sense show page later on tonight. So you can watch it then. And uh, consequently, the bottom line is is that the emergency ordinance did not pass and the face mandate did not pass. They both expired yesterday. And the surrounding towns, which is Port Royal, Bluffton, Hilton Head, um, and I'm forgetting someone. Anyway, three of the surrounding towns have allowed their ordinances to expire. The last one we're waiting for is now Hilton Head, but with the RBC, the golf classic going on, as well as the tourists now descending, it's tourist season, high time in Hilton Head, I guarantee that the Hilton Head mask mandate will not be extended. The emergency ordinances are not being extended. So it is a tremendous, tremendous, uh, win for our counties, our cities, our states here in South Carolina. It's a great day in South Carolina, as Nikki Haley would have to say. That said, I want to welcome everyone that's listening in. I want to let you know that we do still start each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going out to Federal Way Police Department out of Mississippi, Sheriff's Deputy. Lieutenant Michael Boutte, he was killed in the line of duty on February 1st of this year. And uh, this is by Olivia Sullivan. And she writes, a founding member of the Federal Way Police Department, Mississippi, Sheriff's Deputy Lieutenant Michael Boutte, was killed in the line of duty while responding to a call on February 1st. Boutte, only 57, was responding to a call involving a suicidal subject in the town of Nakaste, Mississippi. As he exited his patrol car, 
he was shot and critically wounded. Another deputy responded, shooting the 30-year-old suspect. Boutte was airlifted to a hospital in New Orleans, Louisiana, where he later died from his injuries. The suspect was also airlifted to a Louisiana hospital and was extradited to Mississippi to face charges. Federal Way Police Chief Andy Huang notified the Federal Way Department members of Boutte's death the next day on February 2nd in an email. Boutte was hired as a patrol officer in Federal Way on November 12, 1996. Hoang said Federal Way became an unincorporated city in 1990 and formed its own police department six years later after contracting for services with the King County Sheriff's Office. After five years with Federal Way, Boutte continued his law enforcement career in Mississippi, where he served various agencies for 20 years, including eight years with the Hancock County Sheriff's Office as a police lieutenant. Boutte was also an Air Force veteran, previously served with the U.S. Marine Corps Civilian Police. Boutte was a husband and a father to two adult children. Hoang noted, Michael's daughter, Jessica, reached out to him. Jessica described her father as a man who loved being a police officer, a man who dedicated decades of service to our profession, and a man who is loved by all who knew him, Hoang wrote. To honor a fellow officer killed in the line of duty, all Federal Way Police Department members wore a mourning band until Sunday, February 14th. We thank Lieutenant Mike Boutte for his service, bravery, and making the ultimate sacrifice to protect others, Hoang told the Federal Way Mirror newspaper. We thank him for choosing a life of honor and integrity. And this is written by Lindsay Knowles out of Bay, St. Louis, Mississippi. Family, Friends and law enforcement officers across South Mississippi said farewell to Lieutenant Michael Boutte. Hundreds gathered on Bay Street, Louisiana, I'm sorry, Bay St. Louis, for the funeral service, including dignitaries like Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves, as well as officers and leadership from several law enforcement agencies. Dozens of officers also made the trip to the coast to honor Lieutenant Boutte, including representatives from the Grand Rapids Police Department in South Dakota, where Boutte first began his civilian career in law enforcement. The service began with a Bible reading from Biloxi Police Chief John Miller, who buried one of his own officers less than two years ago. Mike was, has already written his own eulogy, he had been writing it throughout his entire career but with the actions he took every single day, said Lieutenant Sheriff. Sheriff Adams recalled the day Boutte came into an interview, saying he expected to see a hardened officer that day based on Boutte's impressive resume. But when he met the future lieutenant, Adams said he was surprised to see a warm smile that greeted him instead. It was that smile 
that continued to influence the lives of so many during his time as a law enforcement officer. On February 1, 2021, Lieutenant Michael Boutte did what he had done over his two-decade career, said Adams. Choking back his emotions, he stated he was courageous, acted in a selfless manner, putting the well-being of others above his own. We lost a wonderful man, a great leader, a friend, and most of all, a hero. The sheriff continued talking about Lieutenant Boutte's sense of community and his willingness to always go above and beyond to help people reaching out to anyone in need in offering support and assistance. That attitude and calling to serve also extended to those he served with. Mike was truly courageous. He was a warrior and a fighter until the very moment God called him home. There was no deputy that Mike would not take under his wings to guide, to teach, and love, said Sheriff Adam. Mike was truly the most well-rounded law enforcement officer you could ask for. If I had 113 more deputies like him, I wouldn't have to ask the Lord for nothing. He was a role model for all of us. As the department moves forward, the sheriff said, he will continue to carry the positive attitude that Mike did as a way to honor the fallen deputy. To Mike, we say, well done, in peace, and know that the fine men and women of Hancock County Sheriff's Office has your watch from here, said the sheriff. Special Agent Benjamin Taylor said the Department of Homeland Security also spoke, echoing the feelings of so many who filled the community center for the funeral. Yes, we are hurt. We are wounded deeply. Some are confused. Some are angry. Some are filled with so much anger at such a cowardly and senseless act that took someone so special. Some are angry with God, said Taylor. He continued talking about how Lieutenant Lute knew he had a purpose on this earth and lived each day to fulfill it. Mike wasn't afraid of dying. Mike knew he had to move with a purpose, and Mike had a purpose. Mike knew the difference between his what and his why. His what was serving communities as a law enforcement officer. His why was to minister to those who needed it through his everyday walk, said Taylor. Ending his eulogy, Taylor summed up the thoughts of everyone in the room. Lieutenant Michael Boutte Sr. was a great cop, and this world has lost an exceptional human being. After the funeral service, hundreds gathered outside where Lieutenant Boutte's casket was rolled out with honors. Loud booms sounded as a 21-gun salute rang out in the clear blue sky. Then a lone bugler played taps and the haunting sound of bagpipes playing Amazing Grace drifted through the crowd. The flag that draped Lieutenant Boutte's casket was then folded as the deputy's family stood watch. His son, Michael Boutte Jr., dressed in his Air Force blues with a salute 
The flag was then handed to Governor Reeves, who presented it to Lieutenant Butte's daughter, Jessica. Pausing to hug her, the deputy's wife, Jeff, Jennifer, and Michael Jr. A heart-wrenching moment at any funeral for a first responder. The end of watch, then the call rang out through the clear day. Central dispatch to Hancock 53. Please respond. Attention all units. Be advised. Central dispatch has lost contact with Hancock 53. Be advised. Lieutenant Michael Boutte Sr. is 10-7 from roll call. All units. All stations. We will observe a moment of radio silence to honor our fallen comrade, Lieutenant Michael Butte Sr., for this is his last call. May he never be forgotten. Today's show is dedicated to Lieutenant Michael Butte Sr. We dedicate this show to all first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate it to all those that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into our marvelous future. May our flag never fall. We dedicate the song by Dave Bray, Last Call. May God bless each and every one.
Radio, SHR Media, half a dozen other places. Oh, good Lord, I am just messing everything up today. Anyway, uh, we have a guest co-host with us, someone I haven't spoken to in quite a while, but I'm proud to say that I have him with us, Sarge. Good afternoon, Sarge. How are you? Good afternoon to you, Annie, a paragon of common and southern sense, and I'd really like to thank you for that moving tribute to that officer. We need a lot more of that in times like these. Yeah, I mean, there's a massive siege under law enforcement, massive. As a matter of fact, that's going to be one of the guests that we're going to be talking to, and I am having a problem with getting my computer to behave properly. So just bear with me. If I seem a little distracted, it's just messing up on me. Um, I got a brand-new computer sitting in the middle of my living room that I haven't been able to put up just yet. So, you know, it's... It's, it's, it's a good weird. idea to keep a backup computer on hand. I build desktops, you know, I get the components and I assemble them into a chassis. And uh mm. I got three I got three now. 
all together. I got three computers. The one I'm talking about now, I just built yesterday. I'm testing it out. Seems to work just fine. And uh, I got two others as backup, and I got them all cloned. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I need you at my house because I've got a computer over here. The motherboard seems to have burnt out. So when you're typing in, that's the main computer that I use for the show. Right now I'm working off of a backup laptop. So I've got two CPUs, two desktops, and two laptops. And right now I've only got maybe one working properly. (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean. It's an inevitability that they are all going to fail at some point. The only question is when, and oftentimes it's sudden and without warning. You know, the components like or hard drives and motherboards, I think, are the weak links in most any computer, especially a desktop. So, uh, oh. you know, if uh, you got if you got a backup backup for those, and you got a backup motherboard, motherboards really aren't that expensive until recently, when all of a sudden it was a supply and demand problem with motherboards. So I would have a backup motherboard for the for the uh, computers, because as you know. When you change a motherboard, you got to re-register the operating system, and, you know, that takes a little bit more time. So, yeah, that it does. That it does. This way, but, um, but like I said, it's not that expensive. The phones used to did, used, didn't used to be that expensive until very recently, and even then they're still not that expensive compared to the cost of buying a new computer with, say, Dell or, you know, HP yeah. Packard or whatever. Well, well it's two Dells and... Two laptops. It just <laughs> right now I'm going a little crazy. Um, anyway, uh, I'm going to actually play a song um, because I need to call in our next guest, and without Curtis with me, I can't really do that. So I am just going to pick something out here. Oh, this is perfect. This is perfect for the Biden administration. This is from the best little whorehouse in. Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, quite appropriately, Charles Durning, and I Love a Little Sidestep. How does that sound, Sarge? <laughs> that sounds like uh, uh, it's coming from the right um, uh, uh, origins. <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, His Excellency, the Governor of Texas. My friends, I want to thank you for that sincere and heartwarming ovation. No questions, please. Governor, what do you think of the crisis in the Middle East? I was saying just this morning at the weekly prayer breakfast in this historic capital that it behooves both the Jews and the Arabs to settle their differences in a Christian manner. Governor, 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 we got Have you seen the evidence of the disgraceful situation at the chicken ranch? Fellow Texans, I am proudly standing here to humbly see. I assure you, and I mean it. Now who says I don't speak out as plain as day and fellow Texans? I'm for progress, and the flag, now may it fly. I'm a poor boy, come to greatness. So it follows that I cannot tell a lie. What the hell did he say? Same as usual, not same thing. 
it behooves me to be solemn and declare I'm for goodness and for profit and for living clean and saying daily prayer and now my good friend you can sleep like I'll be you you can stand tall you can trust me for I promise I shall keep a watchful eye upon y'all I hear him talking, but he don't come in. Ooh, I love to dance a little side step. Now they see me, now they don't have And gone and Ooh, I love to sweep around the white step. A little quiet, then leave the people on. Hey, you, come on, boy. Go, no, go, Build the people. Watch those dudes. Why has the chicken ranch operation been so long ignored? We seem to be having some acoustic problems in here. Aren't you afraid of possible payoffs and bribes? Now then, I'm sorry. Enough of this pussyfooting, don't know. What do you intend to do about Miss Mona and the chicken ranch? Now, Miss Mona. I don't know her. Though I've heard the name, oh yeah. But of course I have no close contact. So what she is doing, I can only guess. And now, Miss Mona, she's a blemish on the face of that good town. I am taking Here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Star Daily News, oh, iTunes, Facebook, iHeart. Oh, heck with it. I can't even remember half the places I'm on. Just go to our website, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. And welcome back to my guest co-host, Sarge. And we have with us, Sarge, Larry Clayman. Of, he, he is an absolutely wonder with Freedom Watch. And uh, I, I think, I hope... Larry, that you appreciate the song I was playing, Charles Jerning from the Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. I love a little sidestep because that's dedicated to the Biden and Harris administration. <laughs> How's that? Well, it is. And ironically, uh, I wrote a book before my current book, It Takes a Revolution, Forget the Scandal Industry, called Whores, Why and How I Came to Fight the Establishment, because that's what we have <laughs> uh, running the country today, not just with regard to government, but 
with regard to the media and every aspect, corporations, labor unions, etc. They're all pouring it up big time, trying to curry favor with the Harris-Biden administration. I call Harris-Biden because she's really in charge. And uh, we see what's happening. The country's turning into a socialist, borderline communist, uh, Soviet gulag in just two uh, months. Yes. Well, people concentrate on the federal level. But I've been saying this, and I've been an advocate for this from day one. I'm sorry. My DNA was created conservative. There's not even a Democrat blood cell in my body from day one. But I've been saying politics starts local. And if you don't look at what's going on local, then you're going to lose a lot more liberty than you think. Um, Because right now, just this past Monday, I stood before my county council battling them and won, amazingly. Uh, But if we don't pay attention to what's going on around us, as conservatives, we're more likely to go around our daily business go to work, take care of our family, worry about, you know, painting the house, mowing the lawn, having the friends over for barbecues. We tend to think that because our founding fathers built this nation that everything's going to be fine. We have to maintain it, don't we? And that's what you do. Well, you know what? It's not even a question of maintaining it anymore because the country, I agree with what you're saying, but the country has been taken over by the left. Okay, every aspect of American society in in whole or in part has thrown its lot with Biden and Harris. And it's very similar. I wrote a column about this. And of course, my book talks about it. It takes a revolution before even Biden was elected. That it's a phenomenon that we saw in Germany leading up to World War II is that, you know, many Germans weren't anti-Semites. They weren't uh, you know, wanting to exterminate all the Jews, gypsies, and mentally infirm and declare war against the world. But they went with Hitler because he was taking them out of a recession. They threw their lot with him so he could then scratch their backs and, you know, give them special favors. And that's why he, who propped up Hitler were companies like Mercedes, BMW, Deutsche Bank, which financed the concentration camps. And we see this happening today, you know, with Companies like Delta, companies like Coca-Cola, sports leagues, labor unions, big law firms, etc., they go with the winner. And that's why they also threw Trump overboard when it looked like he was going to lose. And this is where we are. So the country's been totally taken over. The country, in my opinion, uh, needs to be resurrected. It's dead. Uh, And there's no opposition from the Republican Party. The, The Republican Party's dead, in my opinion. Uh, They have no standing. Over the last several decades, they have done little to nothing other than to go on Fox News and raise money for themselves and acquire power. Uh, What have they done with regard to Obamacare? What have they done with regard to a $30 trillion budget, which so far, Biden and Harris, they only get responsibility for $2 trillion, actually, $2 trillion of that. So the country, we are now living in a socialist, borderline communist atheist, radical of every group country. And that's why people are starting to leave in droves to go to places like Australia uh, where, you know, they still see that there might be a chance that they're not going to be subjected to this. So I agree with everything you said, but to me, uh, the country's already gone. We have to resurrect it. And that's why I wrote my book, It Takes a Revolution. 
Well, it is. It has to be a revolution, not necessarily a violent one, but it has to be a political and, and civil one at this point. Um, I completely agree with that. You, know, you see the way this administration is, is going, and that's why you know, Charles Durning's song, I Love a Little Sidestep, is so appropriate because that's what we're getting. We're getting song and dance, and we're getting very little action. You know, John Boehner, oh, good Lord, what a nightmare that man is, uh, has written a new book out there. Uh, and he, vulgar, a vulgar book. Matter of fact, when he was running for Speaker of the House, my hmm. congressman at the time was Mark Sanford. Now, I've known Mark for a long, long time, um, from governor here throughout. And yeah. I texted him just as I were getting ready to go in to vote on Speaker of the House. And I texted him saying, listen, you can't vote for this man. You, you really don't understand who he really is. I said, he's going to stab us in the back. He's going to be one of the worst speakers of the House for the Republicans. And he texted me back. And believe it or not, he texted me back saying, well, he was chosen six weeks ago. It's a done deal. Does that say there is a swamp or is there not a swamp? Well, first of all, John Boehner is a drunk. Okay, I know him. Okay. <laughs> I've had to deal with him. Uh, and he drove the Republican Party into the ground as Speaker of the House. He froze out you know, real conservatives like Michelle Bachman and others wouldn't even let them come into his office. Uh, but that's not unusual. The Republican establishment has control of the Republican Party, and that's why it is in trouble. Look at who the spokesman is now on Fox News, Carl Rove, this very corrupt individual. Oh, jeez. That, you know, oh. you know, lines his pocket. He's, he's the same, you know, he's the people that put people like Boehner in power. But, you know, the book that I wrote, I know I'm promoting it a little bit because I want people to read it. It it starts with the premise of Thomas Jefferson. He was against uh, the appointment and nomination of federal judges that would be unelected and unaccountable to the people. I've been a lawyer for 44 years. I've confronted this. That's why I started Judicial Watch in 1994, the name Judicial Watch, watching judges, federal judges primarily. And Jefferson predicted because they're unelected, they would be unaccountable to the people causing us to shed the blood of patriots and tyrants yet again about every 20 years, adding that what's a few thousand dead to refresh the tree of liberty. Now, he didn't mean that we should kill people or hurt people, but he was giving us a warning of what would happen, nor do I. So my book, which you can get at Amazon.com and you can at BarnesandNoble.com or you know, FreedomWatchUSA.org, you can get it for free if you make a contribution of $50 or more, my book is dedicated to Jefferson, and I come up with peaceful and legal means to wage a revolution. And the primary problem in this country is that our legal system is corrupt to the core. This is a lawyer, 44 years, trial lawyer, telling you this. The judges are compromised and corrupt. And we can see what happened with Trump. They wouldn't even give him a hearing on allegations of election fraud. Even his own Supreme Court justices that he bragged about, that he put on the bench, Without a legal system to redress the corruption in government and in the legal system, the country is left defenseless. And being defenseless as it is, we now have these leftists in control that in two months have destroyed the vision of our founding fathers. And ask yourself this question. Who is worse, King George III? King George III was not a socialist. King George III was not a communist. King George III was not an atheist. He was not a radical Muslim. He was not 
a radical member of the Marxian Jewish left, and I'm a Messianic Jew, so you can't accuse me of being anti-Semitic, but the Jewish left is the biggest threat to Israel and the Jewish people. They're the disciples of Marx. And radical blacks, radical LGBTQs, radical feminists, these are the people that are in control of the country today. We are in far worse shape than we were in 1776. The American people need to rise up, and I have suggestions in my book on how to do that peacefully and legally to avoid a violent explosion. Well, you know, um, I was sent your PDF of the book just two days ago, so I haven't had a chance to honestly read it. And i got to admit, um, out of all the authors over the last 11 years that I've had on, I think it's been a total that I have not had a chance of three people over 11 years that I have not had a chance to read the book. So I asked your publicist for you to come back on so we can discuss your book, you know, in full. And I definitely do want to help you hawk it uh, because it, it sounds fascinating. And we do need to take control of this country back. We're asleep at the wheel, honestly. Our nation is asleep at the wheel. And I think the giant is just beginning to wake up. Trump started, well, Tea Party started the rattling. And we got put in our place when the IRS went after them. And some of the, those individuals they went after were friends of mine, personal friends that I've known, like Diane Belson, uh, because I started with several other people, the Tea Party here in Beaufort, South Carolina, back in 2009. And I'm the last mm-hmm. one standing here in Beaufort County. Uh, my Tea Party still meets every third Monday of every month. We're still out there fighting. But we have to wake up everyone else to get them fighting also, to make them aware well, you're of right. and, and what, what on is, our liberties. But what, what is fighting? In other words, you know, it's one thing to turn on Fox News and be entertained by Sean Hannity. Okay, that's where the subtitle of my book, It Takes a Revolution, Forget the Scandal Industry. People have to do something affirmative, not just talk. And that's all the Republican Party does is talk. Look at the border. Mm-hmm. Look at... Governor Abbott in Texas right now. This is just one example, as opposed to Governor DeSantis in Florida is actually trying to do something, is that Abbott comes on Fox News every morning, complains about what's going on at the border, that illegal aliens are invading Texas, drug dealers, human trafficking, uh, you know, COVID coming across the border, the mutant forms that now the vaccine makers are forced to admit may not even be covered by the vaccines. And he complains. He's positioned himself to run for president in 2024. He controls the Texas National Guard. He controls exactly. the Texas Rangers. Yep. He hasn't sent them down to the border. You know, the hell with the yep. federal government. If they're not going to defend the people of Texas, it's his duty to do it. So this exactly. is the Republican yep. Party today, with one exception, Governor DeSantis, who I hope turns out to be for real, because there is no other Republican, frankly, that is for real other than possibly him at this point in time. And that's why I think we need uh, new political parties. We need some competition out there. And I'm going to form my own – I'm a Republican now, but I quit. I'm going to form my own political party in a separate organization called the New American Independence Party. And, you know, if things don't change quickly, I think we need to declare independence again because we don't have a government. And what happened on on January 6th, you know, it's been portrayed by the Republican Party and by the Democrats as a bunch of criminals that occupied the Capitol. Well, number one, that Capitol belongs to us. Number two, the reason for that 
lied lay right in, in, in Congress itself. It's the corruption. They forced people to react in that kind of a manner. And most of them, the overwhelming majority, were not violent. Uh, you know, a few windows were broken. One woman got shot at point-blank range. They let her, they let the killer go. And, uh, you know, this was the American people rising up. It's what Jefferson predicted was going to happen in a much more severe way because they said to themselves, we can't take it anymore. We've seen the rank corruption in all three branches of government. We've seen that the political parties don't deal with it. We've seen that the courts don't deal with it. We see that even with President Trump, he couldn't even get a hearing in front of his own Supreme Court. That was the final straw. So that's that's where we are today. We are in a revolution already. Question is, let's try to keep it peaceful and legal. You know, but but it's going to get bloody. This thing is not resolved quickly. Exactly. I'm not threatening because I'm not going to be part of any bloody revolution. But I'm saying is that others in this country will, and uh, and right now the dividing of the races. You know, where white people have become the Jews of Germany, in effect, is it the scapegoats for everything that happens? Well, last time I checked, white people still outnumber everybody else in this country. And frankly, they're pissed. Everybody should be treated equal, whatever your race, whatever your color, whatever your religion. You know, we had reached a point prior to the last 20 years, we had reached a point where Hmm. integration was so natural. Um, Interracial couples and children were just normally accepted, but suddenly now you're you're told you either have white guilt or you're not black enough. Meanwhile, I'm going to pull Sarge in here. Sarge is my guest co-host because my normal co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett, is at a um, an event. Uh, he's a guest speaker at an event down in New Smyrna, Florida. Uh, Curtis is going on his 27th book, but Sarge, jump in here and. You yourself, as a veteran, you've seen our nation start to unite and then all of a sudden just being, all of a sudden, over the last couple of administrations, just being ripped apart. They need to divide us in order to control control us, and that's what they're doing. It's a page right out of the Marxist playbook and the need to implement one of the most important tools, dialectical materialism, meaning classes opposing classes in order to ensure progress. And the progress is the tyrannization of the United States and the end of the Constitutional Republic. Now, Mr. Clayman, I'd like to thank you for your contribute, contributions to this, to uh, a thought and uh, the need for action in this moment of direst peril. And I mean for the future of freedom and for our, our posterity's future. I think we've never been in greater peril in the history of the United States. Now, we uh, are looking at a point in time where there's an occupational field that's in really in jeopardy now. I mean, it's really overlooked. The perilous field is in. And that is a field of satirists because reality and parody has literally intersected, to use one of their favorite terms, Literally innocent, where you literally can't tell the difference. And why do I say that? Because think of it for a minute. Now, here we got in 100 days or slightly more, when this insane lunatic administration took over, they want to pack the courts, they want to federalize presidential elections and, and national elections, they want to open the borders and reward illegal aliens, incentivize them to come here, they want to get you out reparations of slavery. 
They want to uh, advocate the notions of D.C. and Puerto Rico State are two of the most corrupt entities in the United States Commonwealth. They want to uh, ban the Electoral College. They want to confiscate guns. Mm-hmm. And then they want to tell us we're getting back to normalcy. Literally, this is like telling us war is peace, slavery is freedom, and we've always been at war with East Asia. I've never seen anything like it. Now, I've got a friend who is a legal scholar, a lawyer. He's a man of fairly renowned in Cook County in the Illinois area. He is he's a constitutional lawyer. He's argued cases successfully for the Illinois Supreme Court. He's submitted motions to the United mm-hmm. States Supreme Court. He's a great lawyer. And when this... Uh, election was going on, and we were listening to the dismal events going on in this, I believe, stolen election. He was advancing in legal theories that were brilliant. They were absolutely impeccable. And they were, they, were, they were based on the Constitution. They were based on stare decisis. They were based on precedent. I mean, they were, you, could not literally, you couldn't argue with them. And I said, Mark, there's only one problem with your thinking. And that is we are living in a post-constitutional United States. We've got the blatant stealing election. They completely ignore Article 2, Section 3 of the Constitution, and they tell us they're not about to hear any cases on the merits. That alone should have been enough to invalidate every single electoral vote from the states that did it, and they wouldn't even hear it in the courts. And Clarence Thompson summed it up better. Clarence Thompson summed it up better than anybody I know when he said, we are failing the American people in this regard. Right. Clarence Thomas. <clears throat> I know Clarence Thomas. He's the only judge up there that has any cojones, as we say. Uh, and even Clarence, you know, you know, has some trepidation in taking o- taking on his fellow justices. And I'll give you an example. Uh, just last week, he issued an opinion in a case involving big tech. I had a case up there too. Uh, in that regard, and the Supreme Court accepted cert with one involving Trump and dismissed it because he was no longer president. He had removed people from his Twitter account that were trolling him. And I had sued uh, with Laura Loomer and my group Freedom Watch, Big Tech, over their anti-competitive practices and their discriminatory practices towards conservatives and others. And Clarence actually, uh, Justice Thomas, uh, found that our case was meritorious uh, but at the same time, you know, his brothers, so to speak, on the Supreme Court and his sisters refused to take the case up. And he actually said that was the correct decision. But then he also validated our case. So there's too much politics. There. You know, the Democrats, and I'll get back to the major point, are packing the court. They will pack the court because they now have total control of government. But you know what? In some ways it really doesn't matter because this court is worthless to begin with. It, it, you know, it, it it, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't do. It's like the Republican Party. I mean, and so this is what we're dealing with now. Is that the people must rise up? We have been pushed. Our backs are up against the wall. The left has assumed total control of this country. Total control. Every aspect of it. Just as Hitler had total control of Germany. As I said earlier, even the corporations, the sports leagues, everybody else has thrown their lot with these leftists. And now we have to decide how we're going to proceed. And one of the things I'm doing, I hope people will watch this. I talk about it in my book, It Takes a Revolution, the citizens' grand juries. We have the right to take back our legal system. We have the right to commission grand juries to try, to convict, to sentence, even to meet out citizens' arrests. Discuss that in my book. I wouldn't advocate doing it forcefully or 
violently. But we need to set an example, as our founding fathers did when the king took our legal system back to London. We said, that's it. We've had enough. That guns and high taxes. We're done. We're out of here. And, and my opinion now, I have, I'm setting up, and I hope you guys will come. Uh, I'm doing a Third Continental Congress on Memorial Day. I may move it to July 4th to be symbolic in Philadelphia across from Independence Hall at the Visitor Center. Nice backdrop there. And I'm advocating let's declare independence again and form a new government because this government does not represent us. It sounds impractical, but it, it is our right. And in the beginning of the Declaration of Independence, it says, when in the course of human events, the sovereign, the rulers, no longer represent the people, that we have a right under the laws of nature and nature's God to abolish uh, to alter or abolish that government and to form a new government, bind for the people with equal rights for everyone in pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. I'm paraphrasing what Jefferson wrote. You know, we don't have a government that represents us anymore. Let's face it. And let's start the movement right now to say, hey, you criminals in Washington, stay there. Commit crimes against yourself. You know, be happy. We're moving our capital back to Philadelphia you know, push the left out <laughs> of Philadelphia. Be a good idea. <laughs> but let, let's let's put it back in Independence Hall. We don't need all these buildings. We don't need all these bureaucrats sitting around eating donuts and and reading the newspaper. You know, wasting taxpayer money. You know, we need for our national security and our health and welfare. That's it. And uh, I want to start that. I want to start that discussion. Well, I, I, I can I can understand your feelings about Washington D.C., but I call Philadelphia <laughs> filthy Delphia. It's so corrupt. It needs, well, we need I'm, to find yeah, I'm, somewhere. I'm where, you know, uh, yeah. you know, look at look at look at the corruption in Washington D.C. and the way it affects the federal government enclave that Washington D.C. is supposed right. to be. Well, let, uh, let's you take know. it to Charleston then. Charleston's a good backup. Okay, yeah, let's take it down where you all are. Okay, yeah, I'm, a, might be I'm a quasi governor myself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Larry, you know, I mean, I, I really like the way you're thinking. I like the way you're saying. I would like, again, I keep stressing this to everybody I talk to, the impending anniversary of April 19th and its significance. Now, it doesn't mean we have to get ready to stand up to the Redcoats with our bayonets and our brown best muskets, but I think it does mean <laughs> we better start getting ready to invoke that spirit. That was the catalyst that became, that set us off to becoming a country, and it's particularly appropriate today. We got the senile old goat standing up there in front of the nation and saying no amendment is absolute. Now, I would ask him, sir, would you say that about the 13th Amendment or the 19th Amendment or the 4th Amendment or the 5th Amendment? Would you say that? No, you wouldn't. But you said it about the Second Amendment because you are aware of the power that it carries and the implications of the true invocation of that amendment. Mm. Well, Larry, well, you're right. Uh, and and here's, here's the thing. I, you know, I'm sorry. Well, uh, uh, no, 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 no. That's all right. Uh, just finish up your train of thought. Yeah, what I was going to say is – Yeah, what I was going to say is – I know we're running out of time. You know – our founding fathers, Jefferson and Washington, would be millionaires today, even with inflation. That's how rich they were, okay? And they realized that unless they did what they did in forming a new nation and declaring independence, that future generations of Americans would live under a dictatorship. So I say to people today who are retired, who think that it's all going to go away, that you know they can just weather their way through it, 
you know, no, it's not. You have to confront it now for your kids and grandkids and future generations. Well, Larry, it has been a pleasure. And like I said, I'm going to have you come back on soon within the, the next week or two so I have time to read your book, and then we can talk even more. Because you can see that only 30 minutes is not enough time to spend with you. I would Do love to. I would love to. Thank you. Thank you, and then I appreciate right. your guest there. He's a very wise man. Oh, God bless. Sarge, I've known Sarge for years, and unfortunately, like I said, my normal co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett, is uh, doing a speech today down in New Smyrna, I believe, Florida, uh, with his wife, so he was not able to join us. But, Larry, like I said, I'm going to get a hold of you and have you come back on real soon. Thank you. Look forward to it. God bless. Thank, Thank you for the discussion, Larry. It was, really, it was really, really great. I appreciate you very much. All right. Uh, Larry, thank, thank you, Larry brothers Clayton. and sisters. Take care. Bye. Uh, check out his website, Freedom Watch, and check out his book over up on Amazon. We've got our next victim up in the batter's box. We've got Austin Roos. He's got a book out there called Under Siege, talking about Christian values. But also, before I bring you fully on, I just want to follow up on something Larry had said when he was quoting the Constitution. And I actually have it in my hand. I keep it in my desk. I have one on my phone. I did have one I've been carrying since 1976 in my purse, but it got a little dog-eared and started to fall apart. But I want to remind people that our Declaration of Independence states, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, leaving its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object invents a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and provide such new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity. Welcome aboard, Austin. Did you think you were just going to walk into... Calmly, Austin. Hi there. Glad to be with you. Oh, it is our pleasure. And if anything, talking about the attacks upon our faith, our Christianity, our form of government, this is this is the time in which I have never seen such abuses. Never. Are you with us, Austin? I am. Oh, all right. <laughs> I was leaving you in. I was opening the door for you. Um, 
It's kind of waiting for a question. So, uh, okay, uh, you told me to spout off. I'll do that. I can do that all day long. Uh, I wrote a book called Under Siege, No Finer Time to Be a Faithful Catholic, and I, it's based on a talk that I've been giving for many years now um, in, in which I uh, go into great detail about how dark are the days that we're living in. But then resting on the final point that we are living through one of the most remarkable epics that the church has ever known and that God knows what he's about, and he sent the likes of us to this time, to this specific time, to fight for his creation. And that rather than living our lives in fear or living our lives in nostalgia or living our lives in distraction, we should embrace these times because it's the task that he has given to us. And, uh, you know, I, I like to say that, uh, you know, we're not the A-team. You know, none of us went to Harvard and, you know, none of us work at Google. But uh, none of the apostles worked at the Google of their time either. And look what they did. Um, I say that there are halos hanging from the lowest branches of the trees. All you need to do is reach up and grab one. So that, in, in essence, is what my book, uh, uh, Under Siege, is all about. Well, I have to apologize because normally, as I normally tell my guests, that I read the books the authors uh, have written before I do the interview. But unfortunately, because of various circumstances and booking you last minute, I haven't had a chance. So I will bring you back on so we can go further into depth. But faith has been under attack. And I think they have used this pandemic to um, accelerate uh, the attacks. And, and further try to take faith away. If we don't have faith in a higher creator, we as humans need to look up to something, to someone, and they're forcing us that to be government. But that's not the way God laid his plans out. It, it should be to the creator and then unto Caesar render that which is Caesar's. Well, you know, one of the arguments that I make in the book is that we um, now live uh, under an established church, uh, which would, of course, be a violation of the First Amendment that the government cannot establish a church, and I, I believe that the government has. And I, I trace it to the 1962 school prayer decisions, you know, putting aside um, the, the content of that prayer, which was written by a, a committee of Catholics, Protestants, and Jews, and simply means – and, and the prayer, when you read it, you, you wonder what people were so afraid of. It's, you know, Almighty God, please protect our, our country, our schools, and our parents. It was essentially the prayer. Um, up until that time in this country, there was an ongoing vigorous debate about what kind of people we are, and a part of the country – um, believe that that one of the authors I admire greatly, a prof law professor from California, used the phrase providentialists, and that is people that recognize that 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 uh, that we are under the hand of God, and th th there's a purpose to our history, and and that's the kind of people that we are. And then the other side of the debate were the people who were seculars, um, who uh, you know believed in you know quote unquote rationalism and science and things like that. And that this debate was a rollicking debate that went on from the founding up until 1962. Well, what happened in 1962? Um, and just to back up for a second, it was similar to a debate between Republicans and Democrats. Sometimes uh, the providentialists would win a debate, and sometimes the seculars would win a debate. But the government was neutral. And prior to 1962, we lived under a 
under really pluralism where all faiths and no faiths were welcomed into the public square. So 1962, school prayer decision. Not only did they strike down school prayer, which was um, – not only did they strike, strike down school prayer, but in the decision they said that the pr- object and purpose of the government has to be secular and uh, therefore godless. So the federal government actually at that moment took a side in that longtime debate and took the side of the secularists. And from there we saw the contraception de- decisions in 1962. We saw the uh, uh, pornography decisions in the 1960s. We saw Roe v. Wade in the 70s. We saw sodomy decisions uh, in, in, in the 90s and the aughts. And then we saw the Obergefell decision. And all of that is a part of, of what I consider to be a new established church of a combination of paganism, <clears throat> polyverse uh, sexuality, and, uh, and, and, and scientism. And that's what we live under now. And you see this cascading down from the federal government right into the little school that's about a mile from my house where they teach six-year-olds that sex is assigned at birth. This is a new religion that we're living under, and it's not Christianity. No, this is actually taking any ability for us to practice our faith out of the public arena. Yet the First Amendment states, nor prohibit, they, they cannot prohibit us from expressing our faith and I had a member of my tea party tell us that she had to go to a court for a case. Case was dismissed, and she says, out of just relief, she says, oh, thank God. And the judge reprimanded her. He said, there is a separation of church and state. No, there is not. No. Government cannot. Actually, it should be Congress cannot establish a religion, nor prohibit the free expression thereof. So you no longer even see the sidewalk preacher. Heaven forbid you're disturbing the peace. And that's what they use to help suppress your faith. Any way they can do it. Matter of fact, I'm wearing, a, believe it or not, a T-shirt from my church. <laughs> uh, I'm wearing my church's T-shirt. I didn't even realize it, but as the good Lord may, always may has a way of Manny, may, I, may I ask your guest a question, please? Go ahead, Sarge. Go ahead. Jump in. Yeah, um, sir. Uh, thank you for your for your insight. Uh, boy, I really like what you're saying. Uh, John Adams, I think, famously made the statement that uh, our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the governance of any other, or something to that effect. And uh, I believe, I believe now, the basis of American liberty is uh, Christian in its in its essence. What do you say to those people who say that? Uh, you know, the, the founders were deists, and Christianity really didn't play that much of a role in their deliberations and the way they wrote the Constitution and the Declaration. Well, I, I would say that the, uh, the, the, the book that was cited the most by the founding fathers was the Bible, uh, more than any other. Uh, the United States w- was founded up, upon uh, uh, ideas from Rome Athens and Jerusalem, um, and the most frequently cited uh, were those coming out of Jerusalem. That is to say, uh, the Holy Bible. So, right. uh, so yeah, you know what, what what they what they say is 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 false. But consider 
that it ultimately it doesn't matter because the way that John Adams viewed the United States was, as, as the phrase that I used before, a providentialist, that we were under the hand of God. Um, now, there were other founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, uh, for instance, who, who believed that, that we were more of a secular people. And you know what? That was a healthy debate through the entire – from the founding up until 1962. And in 1962 – and I want to hit this much harder because the school prayer decisions were more important than simply striking down school prayer. And I want to point out that that decision – went through 13 judges who upheld school prayer until it got to the Supreme Court. 13 judges supported school prayer before it, in the New York State judicial system before it got to the U.S. Supreme Court. When the Supreme Court struck it down, every single governor in all the states except New York complained about it. Editorialists all over the country complained about it. There, there was sort of unanimity that school prayer was fine. So put that aside for a second and consider that they then entered into the debate between the providentialists and the, and the seculars and went on the side of the seculars. And the way that we understand secularity these days is that um, it, it, is that it is, means without God. And so from that moment on, there was something – there has been introduced something in our system that has been quite dangerous not just to Christians but to all kinds of believers uh, who want to live their lives in the public square. And it's more than just the free exercise. It is the institutional rights of the churches to act as churches um, over against uh, the wishes of the federal government. And I would take, go a step further and point out that we live in a deeply spiritual age. Uh, you know, the, the, they say that the, 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 the largest growth of belief in this country are the so-called nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Well, those nuns are deeply religious. They believe in energy. They believe that, you know, that, that, that transcendental existed trees and, 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 and in the air and things like that. We live in a deeply spiritual age, but it's not Christianity that is running the show right now. It is this new established church. Paganism. Yeah, that is a part is. of it. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. And now you also see the rise of Satanism also in the public arena, which is really frightening. Um, it is. It's the anything goes, touchy feely, you know. And heaven forbid you say something that offends me, because now you're the bad boogeyman. Um, if you even mention God, you're you're you're. You're nuts. You're insane. You're going to be chastised. But, you know, um, we have some hope because the Supreme Court just recently made a ruling uh, against California saying that, you know, hey, listen, you cannot prohibit having a Bible meeting or even a prayer meeting in a private home. You cannot restrict that. We're starting to make some headway. Don't you? Do you see anything like that? Well, you know, do, do I see a growth in, in – in, I'm sorry. Can you rephrase the question? I'm not sure I followed you. Do you see hope in with starting with the Supreme Court ruling that ruled against Gav, uh, Governor Newsom in California saying you cannot prohibit Bible studies or prayer sessions in private homes? You must reopen the churches. Do you see hope in that? Well, you sure. Um, I, I mean, th that's a little glimmer of hope. Um, sure, I, 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 I would agree with that. 
Um, I would say that, um, well, yeah, let me just leave it at there. Sure, I see a glimmer of hope there. All right. Well, well we're also seeing, oh, I'm sorry, sorry. I was just going to say, we've also been seeing a fight within the churches, and it's happened within my own, where there is a schism, where you have those that will not follow Scripture and those that want to twist Scripture. So where Christ had told us marriage is between one man and one woman, they're saying, no, you have to have same-sex marriage ceremonies. So within yeah. the different denominations, we see a battle being fought out. Um, do you see what, um, this going on? Because I see it within the Catholic Church. Uh, I was raised Italian Roman Catholic. You can't get any more than that, even though I am now practicing as a different faith uh, because I saw the problems in the Catholic Church rising back in the 70s and 80s where they were becoming yep. more and more liberal. So what are you seeing for its future, Austin? Well, let me just defend the Catholic Church very briefly, briefly for one second. Yes, there is a vigorous debate among Catholics on a lot of these questions. But even so, the Church has never changed her teaching on marriage, on life, on contraception which is, which is a, 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 one of the great third rails of, of, of American public policy. So, so the church has never changed her teaching, even though there are wayward sons and daughters within the church. There's no question about that. And we do see this kind of debate in, 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 in many other denominations. But what I, one of the things I say in the book is that I have more in common with a hard-nosed Calvinist than I do with a dissenting Catholic. Uh, that, that I, am, I am pleased to work with those who believe that I'm, I'm uh, not only theologically wrong, but damnably wrong. And the reason that I say that is because we have banded together, we have put aside our theological and ecclesiological differences to fight a common enemy that is coming for all of us. So in my in my day-to-day work at the United Nations, we work very closely with, with evangelicals of, of all kinds. We work very closely with Mormons. We work very closely with Muslims um, because there is a dominant religion that is coming for all of us, that is heretic hunting, that is trying to use the United Nations to impose its its sexual dogma on every country in the world. So, uh, so yeah, I, I have absolutely no problem with working with, with people who, uh, that I profoundly disagree with on theological and ecclesiological problems. But I do know that these kind of debates are going on uh, all over the place. But, you know, you know I look at my, my own church, and w- one of the things I see is, is actually signs of hope everywhere. Um, the bishops have, have never uh, questioned the teachings of the church on the key issues. The bishops have the bishops stood up to John Kerry. The bishop more bishops stood up to Barack Obama getting an award at Notre Dame. Two hundred bishops stood up against abortion and Obamacare. That was every bishop in America. Um, and I see, you know, I don't know what's going on in 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 evangelical publishing, but in Catholic publishing, there there are new publishing houses popping up all the time. A new Catholic websites and, and, and the religious orders uh, that are orthodox are growing by leaps and bounds. So th- there's a distillation of faith such that there, there are growth spots wherever you find orthodoxy and constriction wherever you see heterodoxy. And I suspect that you see that in your own denomination. I see things and, you know, I do speak out and my 
my church, thankfully, is a very, very conservative church. Uh, so I'm glad that they, they don't sway from the path that far. Um, and I'm seeing a lot more bishops starting to speak out against the attack against, you know, faith. Uh, but people are afraid. Heaven forbid that we, we open our mouth and speak out for righteousness. I mean, I had the honor of going to Trump's inauguration, and we were like three blocks behind the Capitol staying in an apartment there. And that's when the Women's March happened. And I was shocked to see a pastor, collar and all, marching with these women as they carried these signs, my choice, my body. And I, I confronted, I really did. I stood up to that man. I confronted him saying, how dare you? A man of faith, when God says to us, I knew you in the womb, does that not speak for the right of pro-life? You know, it, 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 but we see pastors and everything just bend to the will of whatever the latest flavor of the month is. And this is something that's very frightening in our society, Austin. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there are a lot of uncertain trumpets out there. People get caught up in the fashions of the day, and there's no question about that. But just, just, just keep in mind that we are living in a profoundly religious age. And those people have gone and searched for meaning, um, and they're finding it in the wrong places. But they are searching for meaning, and they are, they are a mission field for us, even those who have walked away and, and are now participating in you know, tree worship and uh, energy worship and, and uh, you know, all these crazy religions coming out of Silicon Valley where they think we're going to merge with computers. Uh, I write about all of this in my book, by the way. Uh, people who, who, who worship uh, sexual perversity. Um, yeah, I write about all of this in my book. I urge you to get it. And don't, as, as, as a Protestant or evangelical, um, don't be uh, put off by the, by the subtitle because it can easily be read as no finer time to be a faithful Christian because it is, it is a remarkable time. T.S. Eliot said there are no lost causes because there are no won causes. And the fight in the Garden of Eden is the same as the fight today will be the same fight as a as hundred years or a thousand years from now. And I guarantee you that our descendants will look back with great envy upon us that we were here when times were so desperate, when it was so hard to live our faith in the public square. They'll say, golly, they were so tough. Golly, they were such faithful people. Look what they did. Uh, just like we look back upon the people who fought the, the Revolutionary War, the people who fought the Second World War, the people who lived through the uh, Depression, that's how they're going to look at this time. And what we must remain, and I know you will, remain faithful to the mission that he has given us. Uh, there's, there's so much to say about that. You know, we, we need to stay faithful. If we don't, then we have nothing left. Um, Revelation says we win in the end, doesn't it? Absolutely. And in the meantime, you know, we've been given a job to do. Um, and, 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 and that is to fight for his creation in the here and now. You know, in, in, the, in the Catholic faith, there's the, the Hail Mary. And part of the Hail Mary is pray for us now and at the hour of our death. Those two moments, right now and at the hour of our death. And we don't need to, you know, spend our time yearning for the past or worrying about the future. We have to worry about what is right in front of us today and then make sure that at the end of our lives, we're prepared to meet Jesus Christ face to face. So th th this is why I'm a happy warrior. 
at, in the work that I do at the United Nations, in the work that I do in, in, in journalism. Um, I'm not overly concerned about winning. I'm overly concerned about fighting the good fight. Well, the, the good fight has to be within us, ourselves also, because we have to have the strength and the courage to maintain our faith. And I think that's the most important part. And I, I'm looking forward to reading your book and having you come back on after I've read the book completely. But I think that is going to be the hardest fight we have, is maintaining our faith and staying strong in that. Without that, then we are lost, are we not? Well, yeah, we, we, we cannot turn away from the faith. There's no question about that. Um, I don't want to be presumptuous uh, or prideful, but I, I, don't know, I don't know what could turn me away from the faith. I, I, I just don't see that as a possibility. I, you know, we can be tested in our faith for sure. Um, you know, the losing of loved ones, uh, our own sickness, pain we may go through. Uh, but all of these things we have to offer up to our Lord. Um, and, and, and so uh, I, I guess it is prideful to say that I'm not overly worried about losing my faith. Um, yeah, interesting question. But, yeah, I mean, we, we have to fight the battle within. We have to fight the battle without. There's no question about that. Well, you uh, know, Mr. Bruce, um, boy, you know, you got me thinking about this, and th- that there's been such a totalitarian assault on – Mainstream religious institutions, particularly above all others, Christianity, that I think what they're trying to do is reverse Christianity status in society. I mean, in the 21st century, they want to make Christianity and Christian beliefs like atheism was in the 19th century. They'll tolerate it, but it's kind of disreputable. I mean, you can live out your beliefs, you can teach your doctrines, you can let your children go to church, but you're not going to be allowed to shape the culture in any kind of way, or even politics. I think that's where they're headed. I mean, these people are really, I mean, can you speak to this? Does it not, does it look like we're actually heading there? I thought that was unthinkable at one time, but now I see it as being possible. Well, yeah, you know, uh, there's this phrase that some people use called soft totalitarianism, and it's certainly going on, um, you know, for instance, myself, I could never get a job in the business world today because of the positions, the public positions that I have taken on the controversial issues in the public square over the last 20 years. I could never get a confirmable job in, 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 in the U.S. government, uh, you know, so I, I'm sort of pre-canceled. Uh, thank goodness I have donors who support my work in the United Nations and we're able to move forward. And most people, a lot of people are worried about the things that they say on social media and Facebook can come back and hurt them at work. Um, you know, I, I wrote a column, gosh, five years ago, the title of which was uh, uh, Corporations Are the Enemy. Um, and in many ways these days they, they are, at least, the, at least the corporate suites of corporations are the enemy because, you know, they're coming after us. I did a series of stories now four or five years ago where employees of J.P. Morgan Chase, the fourth largest financial institution in the world, were worried because there was a company-wide survey of questions, and one of the questions was, are you LGBT or are you an ally? Now, how is a faithful Christian supposed to answer that? Because LGBT is a politically loaded phrase, and so are you you LGBT or are you an ally? And they were worried – about having to answer that question and then having to be re-educated 
uh, by their bosses or losing a promotion or even losing their jobs. So this is the way this is the, the lives of the life of fear that many people live in. And I say to people like that, yes, maybe you cannot step into the public square and fight the fight in the way that I do, but you can send a check to a pro-life and pro-family group. You can send a check to a, a group that's fighting pornography. Um, you, you can go down to the local school board meeting and shake the hand of that lone, brave school board member who's fighting against all this nonsense. There are things that everyone can do, and this cup may not pass from us. Everybody has to play a part. Well, I, I think you find this amusing because my mom, God bless her, she'll be 89 this July 4th, and she's now living with me. Um, her church was doing a pro-life prayerful demonstration. We, they went over to a major intersection in our city, uh, set up their little lawn chairs, and everyone just sat there basically praying and holding up their pro-choice signs. So uh, Annie, of course, you know, is always – her mind is always going a mile a minute. I created a T-shirt that said, thank God my mom chose life. And on the back, it quotes the part in the Bible that stated, I knew you in the womb. I stated that part of the Bible, but the front had a picture of a mother holding an infant. And on top of it said, thank God my mom chose life. And I wear that out in public every now and then. And when she doesn't steal from me, I wear it. <laughs> But uh, uh, yeah, yeah. We, we, we need to find our voice. We need to be not afraid to say, God bless you. Um, there's a, something she taught me or someone taught me a long time ago, a story. Because we center on ourselves. We are very selfish individuals in our society. And I think our politicians prey on that because they know it gives them power. The more selfish we are, the more power they hold over us. But my husband reminded me of it because he's right now in a rehab hospital after some major surgery. And he was feeling sorry for himself. And then he spoke to a friend of his on the phone. After he hung up the phone, he goes, you know what? Just when you think you have it the worst, you realize that there are other people out there that bear a greater burden. And the way the story went was that a man was complaining to God about the burden of the cross he was forced to carry through life. And the good Lord turned around and took him up into a special room and said, place your cross down, go into this room, and choose one you feel that you can bear. And he went into the room, and in the far, far corner, he found this little tiny cross. He picked it up, and the Lord turned around and said, look at the name carved on the back to see who bore this burden before you. He turned it over and saw his own name and came to realize he doesn't always bear the greater burden. There are other people worse off than he is. And when we stop being selfish, we can give back more to our society and maybe bring this world back to its right. Um, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> you know, um, one of the, one of the, uh, difficult questions that we face these days is, is uh, and folks don't talk about it much anymore, the, demogra the demographic uh, 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 winter where people have stopped having children. And uh, for me, um, my understanding of this is that once you, once you 
breed greed into the human heart. I want to go to Europe every summer. I want to do this. I want to do that. And gee whiz, children are too expensive. Once you breed that into the human heart, it's almost impossible to get it out. Um, and, and so one of the very severe problems that we're having in this country and many other countries around the world, almost all over the world, is the fact that people have stopped having babies uh, because I think of greed. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I would agree with you. It's very interesting. We don't talk about the, the demographic winner much anymore. It was very big a few years ago. But uh, I, I would say that this, this, this evinces a, a general lack of faith and, uh, yeah. and also – you know, greed and selfishness and things like that. Well, Austin, we're going to have to have you come back on again. Where can people find your book? They can find it at Amazon, and I know that folks are a little angry at Amazon these days, but they sell 80% of the books, and so I want to sell some books here. You can uh, look up my (laughs) name, Austin Roos, R-U-S-E. The name of the book is Under Siege. You can find it. You can pre-order on Amazon. Um, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be released on April 27th. So within right. the next 10 days, uh, people, you can order it now and they'll send it to you when it's published. Well, we're going to have to have you come back on again, because there's so much more to talk about. Austin Roos, thank you so much. And God bless you for all the hard work you do, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Be well. All right. Austin Roos, check him out on amazon.com. Um, Sarge, this show is going really fast. We've got our third victim up in the bullpen, and uh-huh. I probably will—I probably mispronounce his name, and I really shouldn't because I used to work in Brooklyn, New York, and part of the precinct had a large Polish population. So I want to welcome Mike Kucharski. Did I say that correctly? Kucharski. It, it's good enough. Yes, it, it's, thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me on the show. Well, welcome aboard. Um, I have to pull up now all my notes because i got to figure out where the heck I am at. Oh, right. You've got a book out there, which, again, I have to apologize. All my guests were booked last minute this week, so I haven't had a chance to read everyone's books, so I'm going to have to have you back on again uh, because your book is on Amazon. It's also called Takes a Revolution to Get the Scandal Industry. Oh, boy, what a scandal industry have we elected into the White House, Mike. What the heck is going on in our nation? The world is upside down. I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult time, you know, with, with, this, with this pandemic and the, the new leaders that we have. You know, I, sometimes I, I, I question if they're out for everybody's best interests, but, you know, I, I, I pray that it all works out at the end. Oh, I do too. The, I think a sleeping giant has started to awaken. Sarge, I said this what the third time during today's show that the American public, the sleeping giant, has begun to awaken and say something's wrong here. This is not what our nation's supposed to be about. They started with the, with the pandemic, and you can't get anything in the grocery stores. Like forget about toilet paper, paper towels, hand wipes. Heaven forbid eggs, milk, there was nothing to be found. And now uh, everyone was stockpiled and hoarding, and you'd have food delivered. The trucking industry took a huge, huge hit. But there was actually no real reason for this. I, I still don't understand why we ended up with these huge shortages when we're a nation of wealth. Nothing made sense, Mike. You know, it, it, it's a great question. It's a great question. So what 
what started is when we shut down the pandemic, which we're supposed to shut down for 14 days, but it's clearly been much longer than that. You know, the trucking industry, especially my industry, we haul refrigerated uh, food product and, and frozen, everything that goes to grocery stores, the food service area. So everything came to a screeching halt overnight. All the restaurants calls, the bars, the casinos, everything closed. So naturally half of our uh, product that we haul was just not there no more. Only thing that was left was grocery, which is great. But the problem is that the shippers and the suppliers all went to the market with what was left and it went to the lowest bidders. You know, I'll tell you last, last, uh, last March was the worst Easter week. You know, it was so bad because the, the the product was going for so cheap that it was just cheaper to 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 park park the trucks. You know, that's that's what happened. You know, we should have never shut down for so long. You know, um, even if there was a pandemic, you know, it, we need to learn as a nation from this that we can do this. Another huge problem was that the the food supply chain is. You know, raise their thing. You know, everybody. The the standard is that you know you keep very little product on 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 hand, so the costs are down. So that kind of bit us. And I'm glad you brought up the hoarding because when that happened, when the hoarding happened, we blew through that supply like over overnight. And honestly, you know, I don't think we have even uh, replenished that product since then because you know, as soon as we have an uptick, and this year has been a roller coaster. 2020, when we opened up. You know, you'd start seeing states open, they'd close back down, open, close back down. You know, the two main states that we deal with, we're based out of Illinois. It's, you know, it, we're still not wide open. We're still closed. And we're based, uh, we are another state is California, which is opening up too. These states are opening up way, way too slow. You know, uh, the governor and, uh, like, for example, of our state said, you know, the, the percentage has to be at so much rate before we open it up. And then, then you know, it changes his mind That's, that, that this only you know i understand he's trying to help help people and protect the people and i'm all for that but you know he's hurting them by 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 doing this so many people have lost their job you know uh, you know now on top of being in a pandemic you you now have to worry about how are you going to feed you know provide for your family how are you going to put food on the table you know it's crazy because um in where i live here in south carolina we're like semi open not not fully 100% just yet but that will be soon the state of emergency will be ending very shortly here and the governor is not renewing it matter of fact our state legislator and state house passed legislation to prohibit to uh, the powers of the governor to declare an indefinite state of emergency they said wait a minute no 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 texas is open georgia's open Florida's open. There's no reason why South Carolina should also not be open. And I stood before my county council because they wanted to extend the state of emergency and the mask mandate. And uh, because I stood there and lots of other people stood up, said enough is enough. I think the nation as a whole has to stand up and say enough is enough. I agree. We have to all stand up, business leaders, citizens, everybody, and say, listen, you know, we 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 did this. We closed so we wouldn't overwhelm the hospitals. We knew it's going to spread the the COVID virus. We just can't stop it. It's spreading really nicely over the world. We're, I'm just grateful that you know in Europe they have a, a more aggressive strain than they have here. Europe still shut down, and you know we need to get back to business. It's going to take years and years 
for us to recover from this. Not only, you know, and then thinking about all the businesses that shut, all the restaurants, you know, 30, 40% of business, restaurant business are just gone overnight, just gone and they are never coming back. It's just, uh, it, 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 this is not America. It, it, it's hurting the public. And at the same time, it's raising the prices and it's only going to hurt the end user, the American people. Well, that, that's one of the, my biggest arguments is that whenever I hear someone in my county council or the state government say, raise taxes, raise taxes, raise taxes. When I moved to South Carolina, the sales tax was only 4%. New York, where I left, was at 8%. We are now up to 8%. And every time they try to raise it, I use that argument. You're going to increase the cost of goods and services, and the people you hurt the most are the people on the low end of the economic scale the poorest among us. Now, gasoline, I predicted the moment Biden was elected, gas prices would jump. And what is it doing to your industry? And how much is it costing, causing the cost of goods and services to increase across the board? Again, who gets hurt the worst? No, it's killing the trucking industry because, yes, you know, there's, you know, at one point last year we had too much fuel and now we don't have enough. The refineries are, are not keeping up with the demand because everything is starting to open and the prices are skyrocketing. And all we could do is, you know, we have to push those costs on to the goods we haul so we can cover our costs so we can stay in business. But not only – I'm glad you brought the gas, you know, and they're trying to put in all these, you know, corporate laws. You know, I, I love the one that raised the corporate tax for corporations. Our corporation lost millions last year, millions. So, you know, it really doesn't matter how much you raise it. Nothing of nothing is nothing in my opinion. And then let's say one day we do get ourselves out of this hole. So now we're going to have less profit, like the trucking industry. You know, it, back when my father started this company, it used to be fun to do this job. Now it's not fun no more. And now we're going to have to, you know, even share more of our profits. You know, when is when is the end? Our insurance costs is rising. You know, I the, the other day I was just thinking about what one of my costs is not rising, and you know, and this all gets pushed to the end user. The American people. The American people are going to be upset. You're paying more at the pump right now. You're paying more at the grocery store. And, and God knows when this is going to stop. It, it just, uh, it's a never-ending circle. It is. Sarge, jump in. Yeah, uh, look, uh, it's amazing to me how we have these politicians, whether it's uh, Barack Obama or Joe Biden, who get in while they're campaigning, they publicly say, like Barack Obama just flat out said it, your energy costs are going to skyrocket. And Joe Biden, by implication, said pretty much the same thing. And lo and behold, it happens after his supporters deny that it's going to happen. It is the most amazing, it is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. No one, there's no one with any modicum of understanding of supply and demand could not understand how prices wouldn't go up if Joe Biden's policies and even his announced intention of policies that get suppliers and distributors nervous would cause the prices to go up. I mean, you've got to ask yourself, how does this happen to people who are capable of rational thought? Mike? Oh, the question was for me. You know, I, I, that's a great question. You know, that that's a, I was just thinking about that myself in my head. You know, that that is a great question. You know, I was a 
well, the American people chose chose their leaders, you know, and 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 you know, I I try not to lean, you know, towards Democratic. I try to lean towards what what the people do. And what I've noticed, you know, the Democrats in the past always when the somebody wins the the well, out of my opinion, when somebody wins the presidency, they always promise a lot of things, but when things come to it, they don't do it. You know, the one thing I did like about the last president, he did everything he was supposed to do. You know, and people, some people didn't like him. He was blonde, you know what I mean? Maybe he wasn't the nicest guy, but, you know, you can't be the nicest person when you're in president of, of, of the U.S. You just can't make everybody happy, you know? So they, they, they chose the good guy, well, the, well, whatever you want to call the, the Democratic Party or Joe Biden. And, and now, you know, it blows my mind that they lie to the people. Well, they say they're going to do something, and they do the complete opposite. You know, it's 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 not right. And 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 as as you guys said earlier, you know, we need to stand up as a people. We need to get involved. We need to say no. This is not right. You know, what I mean, well, you didn't promise this. Well, let's think of another uh, uh, a truth. We literally achieved energy independence with Donald Trump. Literally achieved it. And then we now see the implications of uh, – the dire implications of, say, the Suez Canal being cut off and, you know, fuel and energy being a commodity. Well, that's going to make the price of it go up worldwide if anything happens to the Suez Canal and it gets blocked off. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's going to be a, a commensurate rise in energy prices. And, and now we have a, a administration that seems hell-bent, hell-bent, on returning us to a time when we are dependent upon variables and vagaries like the Suez Canal being shut off or OPEC uh, doing some sort of shenanigans with uh, a supply and demand or the European market needing whatever. It's just amazing to me that, you know, uh, that they keep getting away with this kind of thing. We were energy, uh, we were energy independent for all practical purposes under the policies of Donald John Trump. And the first day of the Biden administration, they did. They started doing what they could to reverse it. Yeah, it's, I agree with you. I think America should be independently energy independent. They should be independent on a lot of things. And, and Donald Trump did bring us to this. And, and, and the Democrats, I don't know for what reason, you know, I think it's good for the country and for all its citizens that were independently. But right away they changed it, you know. They always were saying, oh, Donald Trump's a business person. He's doing it for the money. I feel it might be reversed. I think the Democrats are doing it for the money because why would they start selling the natural gas that we have? Why would they start doing these things? You know, why would they stop the, the oil production that, that we have? You know, we are going to consume it. They know we're going to consume it. This is just, a, I would assume, it's a type of, of uh, control they want to do to some business. Somebody somebody made a deal, and then, uh, well, how about this? The Bidens uh, do have a history uh, of, of, of uh, energy uh, <laughs> in the energy business. Hey, Burisma. Burisma? Burisma? One of the tenets of the new left religion is paganism, and they worship the Green New Deal. They worship green energies. It's like a, a catechism with them or something. And I think to the extent that the fossil fuels can be uh, either shortened or crippled, that provides an inroad for them to advocate for electric cars and windmills. I think that has a lot to do with it, too. Well, Mike, I, I challenge yeah, I, anyone who turns around and starts to support the Green New Deals, 
I challenge them, and I says, name me one thing that you come in contact with outside of stepping outside your front door and breathing God's fresh air and sunlight. Name me one thing you come in contact with that does not involve petrochemicals. And no one has been able to answer that. And Annie, there, there yeah. is a there's a matter. You know, liberal. It kills me the way these progressives say that we got to believe in science. Well, one scientific fact that I, as an automobile mechanic, you know, and someone who's dealt with energy for much of my life, even in the form of explosives, understand that there's a certain um, energy density in different types of fuels. You know, you get more bang for the buck from petrochemicals and fossil fuels. That's why you can't run an airliner, a 200, 300-plane passenger airliner, on electricity. It just doesn't have the energy density to get the thing up in the air, and it weighs like 100 tons. The energy density is in fossil fuel like kerosene and uh, gasoline and uh, liquid natural gas. only fuel. You're only talking about fuel, but petrochemicals are in your shampoo, your cosmetics, the clothing you wear, the vehicles you drive. They cannot create that vehicle without using petrochemicals to create the electronics and the other wiring, the tires, the dashboard, the upholstery, you, everything, your cell phone, your laptop, your pots that you cook off of. The supply of water that goes into your house requires petrochemicals to create the pipes. The food that yeah. is planted in the ground, you need petrochemicals for the tractors and the other equipment to plant and harvest. Everything you touch Everything. in your life. The bottle and of water that you buy by hand requires these petrochemicals. Al- so alternate my- energy sources. You can't use these alternate energy sources to run heavy industry. They just don't create enough no. energy. The only no. other source that's natural source that's comparable is hydropower, and you got to be near a river or and you know a, a running source of water to, to do it. You still require petrochemicals to, to create the equipment to produce that. So, Mike, exactly. how has this this attack on our oil industry affected your trucking industry? You know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, these electric trucks coming in, and I think electric trucks will be good. But, you know, when the technology is ready, they're really pushing to do this electric truck. And just like the gentleman said, you know, it's not going to have enough power to take a truck. And, and, and like, for example, we go long distance. We go from, you know, Chicagoland to all the way to California. That's about 2,000 miles. You know, a truck halfway gets there, halfway to California, has to refuel, go there. You know, they don't make a battery strong enough that it even gets there halfway. You know, Nikola is making a hydrogen generator with an electric truck battery that's going to come out. I think that's going to be very successful. I support that. But let's not push the technology until it's ready. You know, we haven't tested this technology. How are these trucks going to drive in the mountains? How are they going to drive in the cold like in Texas because all the trucks froze in Texas when the cold storms came? You know, if, if we put this technology out there and it doesn't work, it's going to do us no good. And, and, and my biggest question that I, that I want to ask, when these Democrats finally or whoever wants it, when we are all electric cars and everything, you know, what's going to be the point if America is, you know, not polluting anymore, not putting things in the environment? When the rest of the world is, Mexico will be doing it. I don't think China will go all to electric. You know, what, what, what's the point to, to do this big push when the whole world is going to, you know, ruin it for us? Yeah, it, it, 
we're going into this globalistic uh, political environment when we should be America first, which is what Trump had pushed for, America first. And China is so insidiously wrapped up in every aspect of our culture. Um, have they also been affecting your trucking industry? Because half the supplies that we're getting here in the United States are coming out of China. You know, it, it, it is. It is, you know. Uh, and you mentioned the Suez Canal earlier, you know. What, what, what the biggest problem is with the Suez Canal is, you know, Asia, all of Asia, including China, is needs empty containers. So what they're doing is, is sending container ships with empty containers back to Asia so they can refill them and, and bring them back in here. So that's where the Suez Canal is going to kind of slow down the, the spectrum of, of, of bringing product back and, you know, the, the products that we bring back that go through the Suez Canal, come from Europe, uh, you know, uh, Brazil, we use paper, coffee uh, from Europe. To, you know, I was reading this article, when you order that Italian couch, it's going to take an extra six months to, to, to get here. Uh, the biggest thing that I, I found out that comes from uh, through the Suez Canal is, is hardwood pulp, and, and we use that to make toilet paper. And, and God forbid if, you know, we run out of toilet paper. I cannot deal with another toilet paper crisis here in America. It was, <laughs> it was too big, too big to deal with the first time. And uh, I, I, I got to bust your jokes on that one, but we don't want to go there. <laughs> when, we try to when, keep the show clean happened, here. <laughs> yeah, people ran and bought the toilet paper. You know, when that happened, we were running out of food, and I'm thinking here, how are you going to use that toilet paper when you got nothing to eat? You know, you know, nothing goes in, nothing goes out. It doesn't go in one end, it doesn't come out the other. (laughs) Correct. Maybe there's some recipe for toilet paper. I don't know. I'm missing something, you know. Maybe I wasn't in the form. But it was just, it was just, it was just crazy. I just, you know, couldn't handle it, you know. And then, you know, one more thing that China kind of affects is, you know, we got used to do, like, here in America, we make a lot of goods, too, but we import a lot of raw materials from other countries, you know. And now, you know, COVID, other countries being shut down. These more raw materials are not coming or, 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 you know, we have to source other raw materials that are not as good and, and cheaper. You know, I have a customer that, that called me a couple of weeks ago at nighttime. He goes, Mike, I have about 200 loads coming through the port of Long Beach, and I need it brought back to my production. I said, listen, I'm your man. I will take as many as I can. I can't promise to take all 200, but I will do the best I can. You know, and he goes, there's a problem. Like, well, what's the problem? You know, Long Beach Port is, is backed up. These ships are anchored off of Long Beach because there's such a congestion of products coming in. And uh, not only that, next week I, I find out that uh, here in America there's two different types of refri- refrigeration units that go on trailers that refrigerate the food that we, we, we travel with. One's called Thermal King, one's called a Carrier. Carrier informs me that, you know, the air filters for, that we use for those refrigeration units and the gearboxes, it's um, a it's a, it's a part of the, the reefer. Uh, and these parts come from Japan. And they said, listen, they told me two weeks ago that the product is somewhere in the port of Long Beach. We don't know when it'll be unloaded. I go, when do you think I'll have these parts? Because I need these parts. These are replacement maintenance parts to keep, keep the fleet going. They're like, sometime in May. I go, sometime in May? Oh, my God. You know, this is not only affect me. It's going to affect everyone because we've gotten independent on these parts be used and, and these materials you know it, it's just a nasty domino effect and we're going to feel the ripple effects of this for years you know uh, long beach is backed up I, I think it's going to take six nine months for that to get unclogged and the second it gets unclogged 
here comes the holiday push, the holiday season. It's jammed up again. You know, I don't see, you know, I, I can't see, you know, the, the, the end near. You know, we rely on so much being imported when we used to be a primary exporter. And because of our economic policies, so many of our businesses have fled, and it's cheaper to have them made outside of the United States, whether it's India, who's like number one or two, or China. Um, Even when you go into the grocery store to the vegetable fresh fruit section, how many fruits and vegetables are we importing when most of it used to come out of, say, California? Because California became so restrictive on their on their farmers, they've killed half all the farming business in California. Idaho potatoes, do you see them anymore? Used to come out of Long Island, New York. You don't see them anymore. We've killed industry. We yeah, you know, California still is a big producer for the U.S. In the summer months, you know, California still kind of supports like 80% of the produce. But what's happened, yeah, they're importing products, you know, through Mexico. Now we get a lot of product coming through Mexico, um, especially in the winter months when it gets colder here and, and the produce season kind of like moves around. But, yes, you know, we've, we've, been, we've become too independent. You know, America used to be able to support all its own and have extra to, to sell. And, and now, now, now it's the – the other way around, you know, and, and I love that you, you bring up other countries. You know, um, I, I have one question. You know, if the Democrats want to charge or raise the corporate tax, you know, all the businesses in America are struggling. It's not like we're making big money. You know, we don't have a machine that prints money. Why don't they start charging the international companies? I would start with the Chinese that did this world, uh, that started this, 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 you know, that turned the world upside down. Let's start with those companies so the American companies could survive. That's my question to, to, to the government. Why don't they, you know, go where, where – you know, and China always says they have a lot of money, so tax those people. Well, not only that, when you up the corporate tax, the business tax, who is the person that pays for it in the end? The end user, the consumer. And, again, who does it hit the hardest? Those the least fortunate among us. So, in the end, it becomes a repressive tax on the poorest. Um, we have here in South Carolina where if you own a second home and you rent it out, uh, the real estate tax is at a different rate than what if you are the resident. And it's, it's several points difference. So who pays that additional tax? The renter, not the, the homeowner. So it gets passed down. So, yeah, you may be physically writing the check, but it is the consumer, the user, that ends up paying for it. Is it not right? No, it's not right. And, and for examples like this, I feel, you know, in America, instead of taking a step forward, in America we're taking, like, two steps backwards, you know, with these, with these taxes. You know, I understand the government needs money, but, you know, going to the raising uh, – uh, Property tax, you know, income tax, all any tax, the fuel taxes they want to raise for uh, for the trucks and, and for, the, for for the people. This is, yeah, you're right. It, it, it only hurts the end user, and I don't know how the government does not see this. They, I don't know how they sleep at night and look the other way. You know, they talk about this new infrastructure bill that they passed, but it has very little to do with infrastructure. But 
Um, Mike, it has been a pleasure having you with us. We definitely have to have you back on. I'm definitely going to have to have um, uh, Kelly send me a copy of your book to read so I can review it and have you back on because there's so much more to talk about. And we got a long way to go to dig our country out of this mess that they've made for us. <laughs> ever. Yes. Do we yes. ever. <laughs> All right. Mike Kotarski, thank you so much for joining us. And people can find your book up on Amazon. It's called Takes a Revolution to Get the Scandal Industry. And God bless you for the hard work you do, sir. Thank you so much, and thank you for your support. Good luck. All right. Thank you, Mike. All right. I'm going to bring on my buddy, uh, my pal for the, the last 11, 12 years now, Trevor Loudon. Trevor, how are you today? I'm doing great, thanks, Annie. Great to be talking to you. I hope Yanni's uh, doing well. Uh, yeah, Yanni, right now, he's in the rehab hospital. I haven't spoken to him this morning, so as soon as I get off of here, I'm going to call him. But he was doing marvelous, uh, far better than we right. ever anticipated. I mean, his surgery was four and a half hours, and that was <laughs> a living wow. hell for me, facing the, 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 the waiting room. Uh. But uh, he, he's he's... He's behaving, which is important because you well, know which he is, is unusual him. too. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> anyway, people know you uh, with the uh, New Zealand blog that you have, as well as your book and movies, The Enemies Within. Trevor, the world has gone upside down. Holy cow! I don't even know where we should start today. Well, we're in a revolution you know, directed by communist China. Uh, and that's where that explains most of what's going wrong in America today. Absolutely, absolutely. As I was talking with our, our previous guest, he runs a trucking industry. Uh, and the, the I'm trying to think of the proper word, but I, there's only one word I can think of. The Chinese infection is worse than the COVID yeah. virus. Oh, way, way worse. Well, the COVID virus was just part of their attack. Yeah, it, it's funny because um, I had friends of mine that were in China when this was all starting to break out, and we were getting whispers as early as, you know, October. Uh, and actually, there was actually some whispering around the end of August, but mostly it started to become a little bit louder. We were getting whisperings in October and November that something was happening, and they were in the Wuhan uh, province. And then when I wow. looked up the lab that was involved, um, it had investors such as George Soros and Bill Gates, the American government, investing yeah. in this lab that released the virus, and no one, no one except people like you or I are talking about this. Yeah, look, look it was a deliberate release. Um, it was deliberately timed for election year to, to destroy the economy, to destroy President Trump, and to destroy the U.S. military budget. And you have Americans involved in that, Americans who are involved in financing it, um, investing in that, and laboratory. Um, you know, a lot of the work was done in North Carolina before it was shifted to, to China. So there is collusion at all levels here. Um, and people need to be held to account. This is the greatest crime of the century, really. Absolutely. You it know, is. the most destructive but, thing, short of a world war, 
Well, just think how they did it first, because they knew about the virus back in August, September, October, November. End of December, January is the Chinese New Year, and that's a month-long celebration where the country completely opens. Now, they had been closed prior to the New Year, but suddenly they opened up the country to allow people to travel all abroad. Yeah, so and that, that what was a better exactly way to spread exactly. So how to get the virus out of the country? Well, let's bring relatives and friends from across the globe into China to help celebrate the Chinese New Year and then send them back home with the virus. What better way to infect yeah. the rest of the world? Look, that that was deliberately done. You know, they closed down air travel within China at the time, but they kept international air travel open. The local authorities in Wuhan asked the Chinese Communist Party, should we cancel the New Year celebrations this year? And the Chinese Communist Party said, no, they go ahead. So exactly as you said, Chinese came from Italy and Australia and Canada and and uh, United States and Britain and France, and they all partied up for a month in, in, in Wuhan or in other parts of China, and went back and bang, the disease was everywhere. That was the deliberate strategy to wreck the world economy, and particularly the United States. So that, that was an act of warfare, and the Chinese um, are, are not being held accountable for that. No. The Chinese and Communist many, Party is not being held accountable. How many millions of people have they killed with this virus? And you're not talking about just the United States, but worldwide. It was a worldwide attack. And if yeah, any, and, anything, and, and, and the economic damage has led to will lead to millions more deaths through suicide, through um, through the the effects of a bad economy. You know, people can't afford medical treatment. People delaying medical treatment, um, depression, child abuse, broken marriages ruined businesses, all of this was was the consequence of a deliberate um, infection of the world by China. And that but there's be, an even and, worse and we're, aspect we're, to it, though, and that is okay. that they lulled us Perfect. to sleep by enlisting the World Health Organization to deceive us, mislead us, and lie to us. Well, well the World Health Organization... Oh, I just want to mention, this is my guest co-host today, because Curtis is not with me. He's doing a speech. Okay. Uh, my guest co-host, Sarge. So, Sarge, Trevor, Trevor, Sarge. Hi, Sarge. Yeah, Trevor, yeah, I'm, right, I've been Sarge. aware of you for quite some time, and you wrote a very prescient article in 2013 about Chuck Hagel and the anti-Marxists that were against the military. The only thing I think you need to update is that now these same Marxists are in the military, and many of them are in uniform at the upper ranks. Look, exactly. Obama had eight years to fill the military with his people, and they are now working to gut the military they're supposed yeah. to be leading. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But just on the World Health Organization, you know, that is headed by Mr. Tedros of Ethiopia, and he's the leader of Ethiopia's Marxist, communist, pro-Chinese political party. You know, it was completely orchestrated by China, and the World Health Organization was completely complicit. You know, and now this China wants us to, um, to, to validate their crime by allowing them to host the Olympics. 
well, we should be all boycotting the Olympics. We should have a, a national boycott of the Olympics. That's the very first thing we should do to the Communist Party of China. Also, the NBA. Chinese, they're not South Africa. <laughs> no, no, no they're, they're very powerful economically, but we have got to be boycotting them every way we can. Every American should refuse to buy communist Chinese products. You know, buying, buying from China today is like buying from Nazi Germany in 1938. Mm-hmm. You know, it is. We, we've done several shows on, on the uh, uh, Fulang Gong and other things that the Chinese are doing. And every time I see someone with a Black Lives Matter T-shirt on, the first thing I do is I look at their feet. And nine times out of ten, they're wearing Nike slippers and sneakers. <laughs> and I'm going, wait, 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 wait. Black Lives Matter, so you're against slavery, but you're wearing stuff made from slave labor. Does this make yeah, any sense, yeah. guys? No, well, there isn't because there's no sense in this. But see, Black Lives Matter in itself is a Chinese operation. You know, mm-hmm. the, the Black Lives Matter is controlled by a, a communist group called Liberation Road, which is pro-China. And Black Lives Matter is, is basically orchestrated through a group called Asians for Black Lives, which is a front for the Chinese Progressive Association of San Francisco, which is complete front for the Communist Party of China. You know, black, so the Chinese wrecked our economy, then they burnt our cities, then they stole the election, and they want us to uh, be their friend. <laughs> Isn't it just amazing the way they get away with this? I mean, they're, 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 yeah. they bleed about slavery all day long. A hundred and something years ago, everybody involved in it is dead. And we right yeah. under our noses, right in, not under our noses, right in front of our very eyes, the Chinese are running the greatest slaving operation probably in the history of mankind. And not only do they not have anything to say, they get absolutely offended and huff in an absolute outrage when you mention it to them. The NBA, uh, you know, the NFL, I mean, LeBron James, the whole bunch of these people, it is breathtaking. But here we are. I mean, you, you, you literally almost can't parody this stuff. Well, it is. It's, uh, the Chinese, you know, they, they, they infect the world with the disease, and then they pretend they're saving the world from the disease. They the big, have the biggest slave operation on the planet, and then they criticize America over its treatment of blacks. You know, um, the, the, the hypocrisy, see, this is Lenin, this is Mao. Accuse others of what you're doing yourself. Distract the attention away from what you're doing. And this is what they do. And, and, and uh, we've got so many cowards in the West that they get away with it so much. So if they're going to get away with it, why wouldn't they keep doing it? Yeah, they do it. It's political correctness run amok. You know, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain, Wizard of Oz. Uh, do not pay attention to the man behind the curtain. And they are the man behind the curtain. Uh, heaven yeah. forbid you even mention organ harvesting. Heaven forbid you mention that. Uh, heaven forbid you mention the Uyghur Muslims being imprisoned and retrained, uh, where they are a very mild sect of Islam. Heaven forbid you talk about the political prisoners or the Christians that are being jailed because they have at in-home 
private services to practice their faith. Heaven forbid you you, you talk out for the Fulangang who are being marked and blood tested for future organ live organ donations, forced organ donations, or the the, the forced uh, sterilization of women, the forced abortions. Heaven forbid we talk about the bad things, but no, no, no. America is the evil one, not China. Or, just, or heaven forbid we talk about the 60,000 young Americans dead already this year through Chinese fentanyl. You know, so, so the Chinese are killing 60,000 kids a year, well, so far this year, with fentanyl. They've wrecked your economy with their covid They've um, burnt your cities with their Black Lives Matter. They stole the election. They're corrupting your politicians. They're stealing your military secrets. They're buying up your infrastructure. They're buying up your businesses. They're corrupting your your youth with their Confucius Institutes and their control of Hollywood. But there is one bit of good news. You can buy cheap toasters at Walmart. (laughs) Yeah. That, that's that's what we've got. That's what we got. We can buy cheap crap at Walmart, and we tolerate every other crime the Chinese commit against us because you can buy some cheap stuff. Well, let's just buy American-made stuff and pay a little bit more and support American families rather than supporting our enemy. That we should be boycotting everything from China, everything. And they're using our money to modernize their military, build up a very tough and masculine army, and they're threatening Taiwan. They're threatening way more than Taiwan, but that's, you know, they are, yeah, that's why why I say buying Chinese today is like buying Nazi Germany in 1938. Every dollar you give them is to buy bullets to kill your kids. That's what it's for. Right. You know, and and, and why yeah. would we do that? But then again, they go into other countries, such as Italy or various nations throughout Africa or South America or the Caribbean, and with their bridges and roads programs. Oh, we'll, we'll help you. You need a port here so you can get more shipping in, like Thailand? Uh, oh, by the way, we'll own the port, so we'll tell you what ships can and cannot get into. Oh, wait a minute. Doesn't that sound familiar, Trevor? Like a certain naval port in Connecticut that we no longer have access to because China owns it? It's right here on our own shores. They own so much property here, and their influence within Look, our own nation. See, this is the thing. These countries, they get hooked on Chinese money. But it, it's a bit like, well, it'd be great. The best analogy is, okay, you can make some money dealing with the Chinese, but you can make money dealing with the mafia too. But there's always a price to pay, isn't there? They get you on the hook. And then when they've mm-hmm. got you on the hook, they will bleed you dry. And that's what they're doing to America right now. And we, we're the hook is some cheap, some cheap crap in Walmart. The, the, the penalty, the price we pay for that is horrendous. We're inviting the most evil regime on the planet into our societies to make a little bit of money, and we expect that that's going to be a good deal. Well, our kids are paying the price. Our soldiers are going to pay the price. We're all going to pay the price when this blows up. And this, this scam went on for decades under every rep- president, Republican, Democrat, 
Republican, Democrat, until jo- Donald J. Trump called it out. The first one to call it out, and that's why they had to take him down. Well, yeah. we, yeah. You know, we had, we had a uh, clear oh, example. I'm sorry. Uh, right, oh. no, I was going to say... We, we, under Trump, we began to see businesses leave India and China and come back to the United States and see more yeah. things being bought in the in the USA. But once Wasn't Biden got elected, the first thing that happens, Ford, of all companies, of all companies that did not flee to tr- China in the past, has now said that they're moving an entire line overseas with Biden in office. Yeah. So now yeah. everything we saw good happening is now egressing outside of the United States. Yeah. Yeah, well, Trump's not tweeting anymore, so that's a great thing, you know. But, you know, all these people who voted Democrat are going to lose their jobs now. You know, they had to work. The kids are being drugged up, but there's no nasty tweets. So isn't that a great deal? Well, mm. look look at the, the, the trade tariff policies that uh, Trump had negotiated. Now, anybody who can, you know, do simple mathematics would realize there was a wildly unbalanced trade policy with with with, with China, and Trump was yeah. just beginning to sort that out and get that uh, uh, redressed, so we'd have a, 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 a more equitable balance of trade, and that was another reason he had to go. I mean, heck, you couldn't even identify the locus of a disease without being called a racist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, we used to talk about the Spanish flu after World War One. Well, nobody was right. complaining about that, or the Hong Kong flu, or whatever. But yeah, but but this is the shows you how powerful the Chinese propaganda machine is. Yeah, you know, people people got to understand we are living now in the in the Harris Obama China administration. You know, John Ratcliffe, who was the head of intelligence under Trump, he said the Chinese government has blackmailed and compromised so many American politicians, they can determine which legislation goes through Congress and which doesn't. That should horrify every American. I don't care what political party you come from. That should horrify you. You know, it it, 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 it is so bad that, heaven forbid, we talk about Mitch McConnell, uh, and I actually removed the M from his first name and put a B in front of it, but I won't, I'm not going to say that over the air. <laughs> but it, they don't understand how Shame much... You, oh, I'm such a bad person. You know that. Um, Shame on you for not actually using the word. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? Elton John had that song, Oh, the mm, is back. Yeah, that's right. The bitch is back. That's right. You know, he's made so much money trading with China. Yeah, and no one's talking about that. But oh, but he's 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 the speaker of the house. Uh, Hello, I mean, I'm not speaker, not speaker of the house. I'm not good. A Senate minority majority leader. Minority leader now, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, minority leader. But heaven forbid we say Mitch McConnell happens to be in bed with China. Oh, by the way, can we call that Hunter Biden and Daddy Joe in bed with China? Yeah. No, 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 no. We're we're mean, evil people by saying that. Can we call out yeah. Eric Swalwell for literally being in bed with China? Oh, yeah, that's a very good point. 
Yeah, well, you know, but 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 that's that shows, you know, Eric Swalwell, who was a, a, who was a, a chi- was sleeping with a Chinese spy. He's a, she got him, helped to get him elected to Congress, and now he serves on the intelligence committee. You know, overseeing the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, the DA, all of it, and Nancy Pelosi will not take him off the intelligence committee. Because Nancy Pelosi is part of the same group of San Francisco Democrats who've been in bed with the Chinese for 40 years now. Dianne Feinstein, Nancy Pelosi, the whole lot of that Bay Area, and, and, and uh, Kamala Harris as well. Those Bay Area Marxists who've been in bed with China for decades, they are protecting one of their own who's been caught is a major, major security risk, and they refuse to even take him off the intelligence committee. The guy should be in jail, not not on serving on the intelligence committee. But that shows how deeply the Chinese have penetrated this country that they can get away with something like that. Oh, but well, what did I, they have I, I, to do to Marjorie Taylor Greene for something she said 17 years ago? Just said. That's right. Yeah, stripped all her committee assignments because they didn't like her politics. So she was a big problem, but Eric Swalwell was not. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you wrote an excellent article in the Epic Times, and I encourage anyone out there listening to subscribe to the Epic Times. Um, it is a marvelous newspaper. It comes out on Wednesdays once a week. So I'm sure, oh, was not in my mailbox today. should have been in my mailbox. But you, you say that we can take steps to start to save America from socialism. And the first thing you say is we have to face reality. And this is what mm. Americans are afraid to do, to actually look in the mirror, look at the face of America, and, and take a really good look at all the gray hairs and wrinkle lines that we've put on her. Yeah. Yeah, well, we've got, you know, we, the reality is we're in a communist revolution and we're in a World War Three with China. And you would watch the news all night, all night long for weeks and never understand that fact. So you've got millions of Americans who don't understand the consequences of what's happening. And then you've got a whole bunch of Americans who still think that, you know, QAnon's going to come and save them or Trump's going to come back into office on July the 8th or August the 15th or <laughs> December the 23rd or whatever they tell you next. Um, you've got this del- mass delusion going on. We are in a communist revolution. We're on the verge of losing everything. We're on the verge of turning into Venezuela here. This will happen in the next year or two if we don't do something. That's the first thing we've got to face. We don't talk about hope until we face reality. Yeah, and we also have to stop this cancel culture and the violent rhetoric. Um, we have censured ourselves so badly that if you say the Chinese COVID virus or the Wuhan virus, you are a racist, and then you bury your head in the sand. How dare you call me a racist? I'm not, oh, I'm quivering, and you hide in fear. We've got to face up to this and challenge it and say, I'm not accepting your cancel culture, and I'm not going to shut up. Yeah, look, we've got to be brave and courageous. Like, you know, the founding fathers who gave you this brilliant country, 
you know, they they stood up to the British, and the British were the most powerful military force in the world at the time. They knew if their revolution failed, they're all going to get hung. But they did it. They stood up, and they, look what they gave us. Well, you know, we've got to be at least as brave as them. If we're going to save this republic, we've got to be able to stand up to the Chinese. We've got to be able to stand up to the Democrats and the idiots on Facebook who might say some naughty things about us or some call us a nasty name. We've got to be very bold and very, very strong. It's the, you know, that's part of what we've got to do to get out of this. And we've got to, think, we've got to think about kids. If anybody today uses a quaint, archaic, phrase like our lives, our fortunes, our sacred honor. They will yeah, say that's yeah. some kind of sexist, patriarchal nonsense that belongs buried <laughs> in the past. Well, you just say, well, I don't care. I don't care what you think of it. It's the truth, and that's what I live by. And um, we stop being intimidated by nothing. <laughs> Sticks and stones may break my bones. But, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it's... Um, you know, we're, we're living, we're in the danger of losing our country, not because the communists are so powerful or that even the Chinese are so powerful. It's because our leadership has been so weak and so gutless and so compromised for so long. That's the problem. And, um, you know, what another step we've got to do is we, we've got to be changing the leadership in 2022, if, if we can get to 2022. Um, but... You know, so I, I, I hope people will read the article because it gives nine steps of what yep. we can do to turn this country around. And some of them are things individuals can do. Some of them are things that have to be done at state level. But we can influence things at state level. And already the states are starting to join together to oppose the federal government. And that's what I'm advocating. You've got to get 30 red states joining together as a block, not secession, as a block, a country within a country, telling the federal government to take a hike when it tries to force us to do unconstitutional things. And, um, you know, I think that's a critical part of how we're going to survive this. Well, I think I think there's you're seeing key states, such as here in South Carolina, where my friend, who's the Attorney General, Alan Wilson, uh, former Congressman Joe Wilson's son, uh, is banding together with the attorney generals from states such as Texas and Florida, yep. uh, making those bold legal statements saying, no, we're going to exercise the Tenth Amendment. No, what yep. you're doing is unconstitutional. We will oppose you. And we need to see on your local and state levels elected officials that are willing to stand up for state rights. And one of the things that we have been fighting for here in South Carolina, it's number four on your list, is to close the Republican Party's primaries. It is a Republican Party primary, not a whatever the flavor of the month primary is. It's called Republican primary for a reason. It's called the Democratic primary for a reason. So members of that party should be the only ones participating. Well, see, this is the thing. That's how Lindsey Graham has held on to power in South Carolina for so long. Because you have open primaries. So the Democrats and even the communists vote in Republican primaries to vote for Lindsey Graham. Because he's really a Democrat. Really. And so 
if you want to, because we've got this problem all the time. You have a very conservative, patriotic base, and the Republicans you keep on electing rhino, wimpish Republicans. That's because you have open primaries. There's only five states in the whole country that have properly closed primaries where only Republicans can vote in Republican primaries, like Florida, for instance, which is why we have Ron DeSantis. And, and we were the only, only state that the left targeted in the last election that didn't go blue. So that's what you've got to do. We've got every state, like South Carolina, has got to close the primaries so only Republicans can vote Republican primaries. Then you will get way more conservative representation because the Democrats and the communists can't come in and vote for the weakest, wimpiest Republican they can which they've been doing for decades. It should be a no-brainer. You know, if you're in the golf club, do you let the tennis club people vote in your election? You know, if you're in Kiwanis, <laughs> you let the Lions club people vote in your election? Why the hell do you let Republican, uh, Democrats vote in Republican elections? You let it happen because that's how the rhinos and the Democrats maintain control. You end that and the conservatives and the patriots gain control. It's as simple as that. Well, Trevor, it has been a, a, a fantastic time having you on there. I have not been speaking to you very much lately, and that's my fault. Things have been nuts over here. And now that you're just a couple of hours away, maybe one day we'll, we'll meet up and have a have a drink together again like yeah. we used to. Well, I'm going to be at, at Rock the Red um, later this year. Oh, where's in, that uh, at? Greenville, I think it is. And I think it's in Greenville. Oh, um, all that's, right. You know, the old South Carolina Tea Party was the new name convention. Yeah. The new name yeah, is cause... Rock the Red. So I'm going to be there. Yeah. So we might better catch oh, up there. I'll tell you what. Shoot me some information on that one, and maybe we'll try to make it up there. Yeah, so well, that's be just great. about three hours but... away. All yeah. right. All right. Okay, we'll look forward to talking to you guys. Thanks very much. Thanks right, a lot, Trevor. Job. I, thank All you, right. sir. Okay. All right. Check Bye -bye. out Trevor Lydon. Take care. Uh, God bless you, Trevor. Oh, man. I, I love that man. I really, truly do love that man. Hey, Yanni, anything ever happens to you, we're going to see you if Trevor's available. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he sounds like one of those tough New Zealanders they used to call the Anzacs kind of guys <laughs> that landed in Gallipoli. <laughs> No, I, I love him. Like I said, I love him dearly. Anyway, yeah. um, our last victim is up in the batter's box from the Heritage Foundation. want to welcome aboard Doug Badger. Good afternoon, Doug. How are you today? Good afternoon. Doing great. All right. Jeez, um, now I forgot where I was going to start with you. Oh, oh, here's, here's the perfect thing. You will appreciate this. Uh, the county that I live in here in South Carolina had their county council meeting on Monday. And this is one of the reasons why I tell people you've got to be involved on the local level just as importantly as on the state and federal level. They wanted to extend the state of emergency that they imposed back in July of last year as well as extend, extend the mask mandate. With states starting to open up, it just simply doesn't make sense. So I had been in a head-on battle with my county council because one of the things when they did this mandate and they did their ordinance, they never advised the public 
businesses and services of their responsibility under the HIPAA Act or the Americans with Disabilities Act. And I says, you cannot tell people that you mandate a mask when these two acts are in force. And they can face anywhere from a hundred dollar fine to up to one point five millions under HIPAA and under HIPAA up to possibly ten years in federal prison. Well needless to say, Hurricane Annie hit Cannon Council on Monday and there's no mask mandate and there's no extension of the emergency ordinance. America's starting to open up. Well, and there there are good reasons uh, to, to be optimistic at this point. I know there's been a recent increase in the number of cases, but um, those have been generally uh, among younger people for whom this disease um, much more rarely poses a set uh, a threat of serious uh, uh, hospitalization, serious illness, and 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 death. On the vaccination front, uh, at le- we're now at a point where people 65 and older, uh, 80% of them have had at least one dose, 65% are uh, fully vaccinated. And that, as we know, is the group that is most at risk of uh, the real serious consequences. And so hospitalizations and deaths so far, not rising the way we've seen them rise in uh, in previous waves of of this epidemic. So um, th- things are uh, things are, are are really looking up, and uh, the government needs to respond to that. It does, but when you think about when the Spanish flu hit, which was at the height of World War One, and the number of deaths that were recorded that were known is far. It far exceeds what we are seeing today. Yeah, on a population basis, that's certainly true. Um, I'm not sure what the population was here in 1918, but it certainly wasn't 330 million. Um, And so uh, a a larger portion were affected. And that was also a disease that affected uh, younger adults. Uh, as opposed to COVID, which has been a deadly disease primarily uh, for people who are older and for people with uh, certain uh, pre-existing medical conditions. So it, it was a very different disease. Uh, and look, medical science in those days uh, wasn't what it is today. We're much more capable of treating patients who are gravely ill than was the case uh, 100 years ago. And, of course, these vaccines have come along, and um, the pharmaceutical industry has stepped up and produced uh, vaccines that really do seem to be uh, uh, quite effective. Um, as, as I mentioned earlier, we've had um, uh, we fully immunized at this point over 80 million people, and among those who have gotten vaccinated, there have been only 5,800 cases of those, fewer than 400 uh, ended up uh, in, a, in a hospital, and something like uh, 70 uh, passed away. So it's uh, less than a one in a million chance that a person who's vaccinated will, will uh, die uh, with, uh, with COVID-19. Uh, that wasn't the case a year ago. It, it is the case now. And as I said, government needs to respond to 
changing facts on the ground, and to the fact that we're all much more aware of this disease. We understand it a lot better. Uh, we know when we need to take precautions. Um, and, and for people who have been vaccinated, they simply shouldn't live under the same uh, restrictions as the government has been trying to place on people uh, for over a year now. Mr. Badger, I'd like to ask a really question that's really been bugging along, me a long time, and I haven't been able to get really a definitive answer for it. Has there ever been a time in the, hist in the history of the United States and epidemiology where large segments of the healthy population were either quarantined or kept from going about their normal activities, even when the diseases were more virulent than the COVID is. Has there ever been such a time in the history of the United States where this was done on this sort of widespread scale? Well, unfortunately, I, I'm uh, not a good enough historian to be able to answer that question as definitively as you'd like. Um, but I can tell you this. I was around for uh, the uh, Hong Kong flu in the uh, late 1960s, which was also uh, one that uh, was very widespread, infected uh, infected uh, millions of people and, and resulted in large numbers of deaths. And I will tell you that uh, there really were no restrictions of that kind. Uh, this idea of lockdowns, which haven't worked, uh, by the way, either here or uh, in Europe. The idea that you have to uh, lock everybody down uh, in response to, to um, uh, a, a pandemic, think about it. I, I live in the state of Florida. Our numbers in terms of cases, in terms of deaths on a population-adjusted basis are as good or better than California's, much better than New York's, and, uh, and people in those states have been dealing with these rolling lockdowns and continue to deal with that. Uh, where are the results? Uh, we know the negative results in terms of people losing jobs, businesses folding, uh, school children uh, suffering uh, mental illness and other, and other things. We know those results of the lockdowns. But I don't see that they, they stopped the pandemic. Uh, I don't see that they... Uh, prevented uh, the the uh, numbers of infections that we've seen come in waves over the last few years. And by the way, that's the same story in Europe. It's not unique to the United States. So this idea, whether it's been tried before, I can't tell you definitively yes or no, but I can tell you definitively it hasn't worked. Well, there's a reason why they use the term lockdown. It originated in prison. And uh, I think it's kind of like what the idea they were trying to convey is. Well, that, well that's right. And when you think about it, um, how we've uh, – and, and when I say we, I'm talking about public health officials like Annie met with in, in her hometown or, or like at the CDC or, 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 or some of the others um, around the country. Um, you have a disease that, thank God – is really not an issue for kids. You have a disease that really is an issue for the elderly and particularly those in nursing homes. So what did we do with lockdowns? We closed the schools and we didn't do enough 
for people in nursing homes. And as a result, over the first few months of the pandemic, half the deaths were occurring in nursing homes while we have schools closed. I mean, the, the, the policies these guys have put in place on this for, you know, and again, they've been, they've been doing this now for over a year, have just been absolute failures. And no one seems to uh, be willing to admit that at this point. Well, well you like, know, a, like a friend of mine says, everything that's been done has been backwards. Um, you're right. Schools are closed and nursing homes are infected. Uh, if, if you look at when this started all to happen, uh, the very things that we should not have been doing are what were being done. But then if you look at the relationships of some of the individuals now, uh, I was listening to an interview with Fauci, and he's bragging how he's on the phone with uh, Governor Cuomo every day. And which state is one of the worst that's been hit? New York. You know, if you look at who's in bed with whom and and the effects. And he has now a bestseller about how well he handled the pandemic. And he was the worst governor to handle the pandemic. And yet... The media just laps it up, and no one is out there speaking out against him. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. And, and look, at the beginning, uh, you know, CDC was caught flat-footed. They listened to the Chinese government that this couldn't be transmitted from human to human. Uh, when they, they, they ignored the, the, the Taiwanese government was telling us, that this was a this was a big deal. It can be transmitted. We listened to Beijing, and uh, and so we didn't uh, prepare quickly enough. Then CDC developed a test uh, for the disease, and the FDA would not allow any private company to market a test. It turned out the CDC test was ineffective, and and uh, and so while this disease was spreading in the earliest days, which is when you could maybe take some some effective interventions. We didn't know who had it. You didn't know you, you were sick until you showed up uh, in the emergency room and were already pretty far gone. Uh, and so they panicked, and they came up with this lockdown. First it was going to be 15 days, then it was going to be 45 days, uh, then it was going to be, well, we're going to keep them in place pretty much forever. We'll relax it and then tighten it. Um, at some point along the way, uh, they needed to honestly confront the fact that they weren't succeeding. You're the Centers for Disease Control. The disease is out of control. People are following, government officials are following your advice all over the country, and your advice is failing. You need to come up with, uh, with some alternative, but they just will never admit that they were wrong. Well, I think we know why this is a scam. We have two solid reasons to know why this is a scam. And I know I'm not supposed to say that, but it's impossible if we didn't make any other conclusion. Number one, we, much of this stuff, of these policies was predicated on the idea that we didn't know anything about it and we couldn't take any chances. Well, now we do. You've got a solid base of information, yet and still the policies have not been adjusted to comport with the new knowledge and the reality of the new knowledge we now have. And number two, 
the fact that we have literally hundreds of illegal aliens coming through the border, testing positive of COVID, and being released into the interior of the United States with taxpayer money, with no supervision and no follow-up. Now, if that doesn't tell you that they really, at least some of these officials, really don't believe what they're saying, I don't know what does. <laughs> yeah, there have oh, been that... issues, that, and and the... Of course, now with the vaccines, we're, we're, we're finally beginning to make uh, uh, progress against this. But we have had developed uh, since last summer rapid tests that you can do at home on yourself. And you don't have to send it to a lab. It's like a home pregnancy test. You can, you can take the test. You can find out if you have it. And in a, in a matter of minutes, not send it off to a lab and wait three days to find out whether you had it three days ago. Um, the FDA, until very, very recently, would not approve those tests. We've got manufacturers in California that are making millions of these tests a day. They're shipping them to uh, the U.K. They're shipping them to Germany, uh, where they're being put to very effective use uh, right now. I mean, if we would have... Uh, empowered people to find out if if we have it. Uh, Instead of confining people, restraining people, and limiting their liberties, why not give them the opportunity to find out their status and take responsible results? If I know I have COVID, I'm going to avoid people. Uh, But um, we're not allowed to know. We test maybe a million or two a day. We could, we could be having 20 or 30 million a day if, if these tests were made widely available in the United States. And on that, the public health officials, again, said no. Like a pregnancy test, I mean, it, uh, how much more lives can we save? How many more people can we not infect if it was available like a regular pregnancy test? You can do a drug test right off the shelf but you can't do a COVID test right off the shelf? And it makes absolutely no sense there, Doug. No, there is no sense to it, and especially if you think about it. I mean, even if they'd improved it in, in, in August and September, if these things were widely available on the shelves of the supermarkets and pharmacies and so forth, and by the way, they cost between $1 and $5 to produce, so they're not these $150 tests at the lab. Uh, these are uh, relatively easy to, uh, to produce. Think about if people were able to test themselves before they, they got together for Thanksgiving, before uh, they, got, they got together for, for Christmas and, and the other holidays, would we have had the big run-up in cases in November, December, and early January that we had if people were able to determine whether they had this disease before they got together with their family and friends? Instead, the government said, don't get together with families and friends, and then we find out that Dr. Burks and all the others were doing exactly what they were telling the rest of the country not to do. Um, Because, look, we're human beings. We're going to get together uh, with the people we care about on the holidays, so why not give us the opportunity to know whether we're putting them at risk of infection? You know, what's what's really sad is um, I've I found out just yesterday 
that my sister and her husband contracted COVID. They went down to Florida for his brother-in-law's funeral, a very small gathering. It turns out, out that the son of the deceased had COVID and didn't know it. And she drove back, she and her husband drove back from the funeral on Tuesday, and she became very, very ill. And her husband and her have now tested positive for COVID. A simple over-the-counter test would have turned around and said, well, yeah, your dad passed away, but it may not be a bright idea for you to attend his funeral. And we would have two healthy people now, uh, three healthy people. But it's because the government overreach is it, it is affecting our daily, daily life. Yeah, when you think about it, where the government's reaction to the disease has been least effective with lockdowns, mandate, mask mandates, uh, extended school closures, is where they've exerted control over people's lives and limited their ability to worship, to, to, to go to a business, just go about their daily routines. Where they've been successful is where they've relaxed restrictions. Uh, the Trump administration, for example, permitted telemedicine. So instead of not being able to see your doctor during a pandemic, you were able to, to have uh, visits uh, uh, re- remotely. Uh, the FDA relaxed its, um, its, its regulatory approach to vaccines instead of requiring these guys to go through various stages and, and submitting the data and then waiting months for the FDA to get back to them as they move from one phase to the next. The FDA was, was reviewing the data daily uh, so that they were, were finding out if there were problems and to the extent that there were successes in real time and instead of taking years to get a vaccine, it took months. The government, when it overreaches, it does more harm than good. Mm-hmm. When, it, uh, when it trusts people to conduct their own lives, uh, to test their own COVID status, when it lets innovators go out and develop products and, and get them to the marketplace, we do very well. There's a lesson in this for those who want the government to take over um, health care. This is what it looks like when the government comes in and uh, decides uh, how we're, uh, we're going to deal with, uh, with health care. It doesn't work out well. well there's no, a question I have of you with regard to the ideological nature of the treatments and the, the, the recommendations to uh, uh, mitigate the spread of this thing. And if you recall not long ago, Donald Trump spoke to a treatment that was being developed at Columbia University involving ultraviolet radiation and irradiating systems in order to uh, get the disease. And he mentioned it, and he said it was akin to something like bleach. And you remember how it got distorted in the – Trump is recommending people inject themselves with bleach. You, you, I, I, I don't know if you remember that or not, but I certainly do. And then, of course, there was the great big contretemps, well, not actually minor, but big, disagreement about hydroxychloroquine and all the other uh, treatments that many doctors saying they were having uh, uh, fine results with. Could you speak to that 
And as, did they ever actually resolve this on the basis of real science and not ideology? Yeah, on that, uh, I'm not a physician, so I, I don't want to speak to uh, medical research per se. I can look at the, <clears throat> the public health uh, numbers and see what's going on with cases and hospitalizations and deaths. I can look at the CDC recommendations and look at the studies that they relied on and, and see that the studies don't say what CDC, uh, don't support what, what CDC is doing. I'll give you a perfect example. We went through for many, many months, for basically for a year, with CDC saying, well, if you're going to open the schools, the desks have to be six feet apart. CDC did not have one single study saying that desks have to be six feet apart. The World <laughs> Health Organization, the American Academy of Pediatrics, said one meter, a little over three feet. Mm. Uh, the, the one study CDC cited when they finally changed their minds a few weeks back to say, well, we used to think it was six feet because of this study. If you go back and read the study, it was 40 inches. At 40 inches, a, a meter is a little over 39 inches, so it's basically a meter. They had none, and yet they asserted over and over and over again six feet, and that was used uh, to keep schools closed because some schools just didn't have the space to accommodate and for others to limit in, in uh, classroom participation. They were wrong from the beginning. They never had a single study supporting their recommendation. And yet school boards and governors and across the country took this as gospel, and then CDC came out and said, oh, well, never mind. It should be one meter. Um, that's the kind of thing I can look at uh, and be able to tell you on that as far as uh, whether some of these uh, treatments that, uh, that never got approved, whether they're effective um, you need to have a doctor on who can uh, who can speak to who can speak to that. Uh, well, Doug, we're, com we're coming down to our last few minutes. I just want to throw in here uh, the monkey wrench into this whole thing: vaccine passports. The, boy, <laughs> talk about a can of worms right there. Mm -hmm. I, I I had a doctor call me today to confirm an appointment and asked if I've had the vaccine. And because I have underlying health issues, I said, I cannot get the vaccine. So I'm going to be one of those who's going to be walking around without a vaccine passport, and I just may become a pariah to society. Yeah, on the, on the passport thing, I, I, will, I will say this. Um, first of all, no two people seem to mean the same thing by it, uh, but, but I, can, I can give you um, a few thoughts on this. First of all, the Biden administration has said over and over again they're not going to do it. And I know people can say, yeah, but they can come change their mind. I, I will tell you, as somebody who monitors very closely what the Biden administration is doing on health care, there's enough things they're actually doing and uh, have already done and things that they plan to do in the health care area that, that I don't want to spend a whole lot of energy talking about things they said they're not going to do. And there are a lot of progressives that oppose it because, again, from the progressive perspective, all of this is racist, the vaccines are racist, the vaccine distribution is racist, and so if you require vaccine passports, they're going to be racist too. So I don't see a big 
threat there uh, coming along. On the other side of it, um, you know, uh, if, if I run a business, I run a let's let's say I have a I own a movie theater, or, or let's say, um, you know, a, 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 I own a concert venue. Um, you know, if you want to come onto my property, I can put certain limitations on: no shirt, no shoes, no service. If I want to say in my theater, I'm only going to admit vaccinated people, that's really none of the government's business. Maybe it'll help me because more people will go and they'll feel safe knowing other people have been immunized. And maybe they'll have the reaction, Annie, that you have is like, well, what about me? I'm, it's medically contraindicated. Are you going to exclude me from something? It might hurt my business, but it's my business. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think we've gotten out of control with the government should require these, the government should ban these. Let people make decisions for themselves. And, you know, if I make that decision and it hurts my business, well, that's on me. Uh, but the government shouldn't be making it uh, for me. No, they shouldn't. Annie, if they're going to turn you into a refugee, we're going to set up an underground railroad for you and we'll start forging <laughs> things. There you go. That's what I mean. People, people we, we should be able to make decisions for ourselves, take our own action, and, and not depend on the government to make decisions for us. Exactly. Well, Doug, it has been an absolute pleasure. Tell Tom thank you for sending you over to us, and I hope you had fun being a victim of the show. <laughs> I very much enjoyed it with both of you. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Doug. Well, great great Doug, information. I appreciate it very much. People can find you at heritage.com, Doug Badger. Thank you, and God bless you for the hard work you do, sir. God bless you. Thank you. All right. Doug Badger, check him out, heritage.org. Sarge, thank you for stepping up to bat, uh, stepping in for C.S. Bennett. Uh, Curtis will be back with us next week. Uh, Sarge, you're welcome anytime. You know that. We know we love you. (laughs) I love Look, Annie, not only was I informed today, but I was edified. I mean, it was (laughs) great being here, and... uh, Man, I was taking notes. I've been taking notes. I got three pages of notes, and I'm gonna start doing some research on this. So, if and when I come back, I will be much better informed. Well, I'm looking at what I got: three, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven lines. That's all I wrote for today's show: eleven lines. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, there's there's so much information. I don't know how you just couldn't fill at least half a notebook. I mean, I got, they just set me to thinking about things and things I've got to look up and. Uh, um, you know, reinforce my knowledge on, and I intend to do just that. You have some really great guests, really good. Well, then, uh, do do yourself a favor and Google uh, Governor Cuomo, where he made the statement that there's a higher rate of infection uh, among people that are homebound, living in apartments and private homes, compared to those who are outside, working outside, playing outside, mingling outside. Uh, Check out where Governor Cuomo said that, where he steps on his own tongue several times. Or where anybody ever fit the term of a notorious liar, I forgot who used that term publicly once, that man has got to fit it. He's like a mafia don. (laughs) All right. Well, we're down to our last 30 seconds, Sarge. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to remind everyone that we will be back here, same bat time, same bat station here 
on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, and half a dozen other places. I apologize if you're trying to get onto Facebook for some reason. Uh, my program was not working. Uh, but anyway, just join us again next week. And I, I hope everyone enjoyed the show. And thank you for those that were in the chat room. And I will say for now, good night. And God bless to each and every one. We're out.